This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Program. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with my teammates Jeffrey Simpson, Terry South. The gang's all here. Ready to uh, give you a leg up in life. It's not easy. It's not easy being on the earth today. So much easier back in the day of the plague. Well, that's back, by the way. Oh, is the, pl- the plague is Madagascar, back. Madagascar, they right, 57 people have uh, plague, plague is died. still raging. How do you make that argument, by the way? Well, technology's so hard. Complicated. Hmm. Lots of competition today. So just different problems. Well, and the Kardashians. I mean. That's a good point. Many say a plague of their own. I mean, if you're anti-Kardashian. Right. Anywho, we got a great show for you today. We um, Some people think death, you know, is the end of a career. But we've got a great uh, interview talking about the fact that maybe if your music career has stalled a bit, maybe what you need to do is die. And it'll just pick your career right back up. Really? A lot of record sales. Like an increase of like 560% of record sales after you die than being alive. Unless you're Prince. Then it's like – I can't remember the numbers. Crazy. Like 160,000% increase in in Prince uh, music sales after he died. Well, as they say, sometimes you don't realize what you've got until it's gone. Yeah. That was emotional. God, he got really teary at the yeah, end. Yeah, verklempt even. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Uh, so we will be talking about that. And boy, um, talk about turnarounds. Mm. Talk about a near-death experience that then brought back love and joy. McConnell and Trump seem to be on a love fest that is unparalleled. I think they're unified in purpose. Yeah. They need taxes to this go through. love music from the 70s. Or they may lose, say, the house. Mm-hmm. And they kind of need that if they want to get the rest of the agenda through. It's it's an important thing that they're finally together on. The House thinks they can get their tax uh, proposal through by Thanksgiving. That's like 15 working days. Wow. And then the Senate has a deal, and so they got to try to figure out how to make those two things work yeah. and then get that before the end of the year. How many working days do we have between now and Thanksgiving? Quite a few more than 15. Oh. They got a good gig. They don't even have to work. I mean, don't get me wrong. We don't work that much. I mean, to be honest. Well, yeah. But we work at least three times more than well, yeah, Congress absolutely, yeah. and Senate. <laughs> hmm. But they're all back to work today. That's good. There's lots of lunches happening, lots oh, of yeah. committee meetings. Lots of chicken being... Cold rubber chicken. Mm. Mm. Maybe the fish. Hey, we, sure. we had a lunch yesterday. Yeah, we did. We had, we had a great broadcasting, BYU broadcasting meeting. It was a I, retreat. I left invigorated and excited. You did? Yes. I, I kind of left. But you left early. I did. Well, you, you missed had to the get movie. To the kids. I was invigorated after that. Yeah. You left. could have been paid to watch Moneyball. That was Doesn't great. Get any better than that. I loved it. Yeah. I, I took a quick little nap during that, but I'd seen, I've seen Moneyball many times. I read the book. Oh, you did? Yeah, so I went, eh. It's the, no, but the it was movie's great. not as good as the book. Let's put it that way. But the, ta- wow. the the debrief was really interesting too. How mm. Moneyball applies to our organization. Right. Yeah, we wonderful. talked about it for a good hour and a half. It seems. Yeah, I, but I I've, I'm invigorated. My phone by lunch was down to fifty percent. I'm like, I'm not going to make it to the end of this day. 
my phone's just going to so die. that's why you took off. There's, well, I, he's I, got kids. I got through all my email. I went through Twitter like three or four times. Like, I have nothing else to kill time with here. No, what do you mean? Huh? What? Kill time. I'm sorry. Hmm. It yeah. seems like there were a lot of things being discussed that weren't going to be solved in that meeting. No, but that's but but they were announcing certain things. Well, I mean, the announcements were made in the newspaper over the weekend. You left yeah. before they made the announcement that the Matt Townsend show is now going to be at ten o'clock and not seven o'clock. Okay, there we go. So you guys didn't say that. You said you know they, they didn't we tell just, you that. We just thought we'd wait. Hey, I just found that out. We just thought we'd wait and. Until you showed up at 7. I'm guessing that's <laughs> not happening. It's not happening. Okay, just listeners, we're not moving times yet. <laughs> we're not moving times ever. Probably. You're, gonna, you're getting it in their head that we're moving times. I just said, you know, things can always change. Yeah, that's a good point. Don actually told me we'd have this time slot forever. Really? Yeah. Ugh. It's kind of an early time slot. A little bit. I'm not a morning person. That's been well established. I would like the 8 p.m. show. There are methods to uh, <laughs> to help you with that. I did. Last night I went to sleep. There you go. I slept a full eight hours last night. Wow. What's that? I don't know. I went to bed like at 9 in the morning. That's like a, sa- not, that's a Saturday thing. I do that on the weekends. Do you? Yeah. I had a really long – I've had some time off of the last few days. Mm, this is true. And I still didn't feel like I had slept enough. Well – Woe is me. My life is sad. Anyway, we got a great show for you. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South to get caught up. Terry, what should we be focusing on? Four U.S. soldiers killed in Niger were ambushed by a group of 50 ISIS-affiliated fighters, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Joseph Dunford said Monday in a press conference. Dunford said the U.S. soldiers were part of an approximately 800-troop force in the region. That number there surprised members of Congress. They're like, Whoa. we have how many people there? In Africa. In Africa? Are you, were you guys going to say, hey, by the way? And apparently they're on committees that should know and they But then know. somebody said, because it's, uh, oh, it was uh, Secretary Haley's like, what's going on in Africa is going to spark more and more terrorists. Right. It's creating more terrorists. Just They come from a different region now. Yeah. The general further confirmed that one of the deceased soldiers became separated from his unit during the ambush. And while many questions remain surrounding the death incident, Dunford declared, I think we owe the families and American people transparency. Mm-hmm. I've read other places mm-hmm. that if you're very concerned about Benghazi, you should be concerned about this incident also. Yeah. Not just politics, but actually concerned about what's happening with our military and armed forces and people serving our country. Senator John McCain on Monday blasted the media for characterizing his swipe at people who were granted deferments from the Vietnam War as an attack on President Trump. Speaking on C-SPAN, the senator said it was unfair that poor people were drafted into the service while the highest income level found a doctor that would say they had a bone spur, which is what exactly President Trump used to get out of serving in Vietnam. He got some deferments because he had bone spurs. Yeah, but a bone spur. He can't remember which foot, but it was bad. It was tremendous, but he was able to recover. So So McCain's now taking on, I mean, McCain, a war hero, five and a half years held captive. Right. And now he's taking on the president who had a bone spur. He says he isn't. He's not, but he's he is he, he, he just, is disparaging. He just mentioned the, the exact dodgery. ailment that Trump said that he used yeah. to get a deferment. Okay, yeah. So I, what do you think? Do you think he was going after the president, or do you think yeah. he was just picking a random ailment that could get you a deferment? Well, he he just picked. But no matter what it is, it's you're it's you're having that from a guy that was captive. 
Yes. And beat up and. But it's okay. He was captured, and yeah. that may not be the best that's, kind of. That's not hero. a good hero. Such an ailment was cited by Trump to avoid military service during the war. But McCain, who was held as a prisoner of war in Vietnam for five years, insisted on Monday that he wasn't talking about the commander in chief. He was, I was against that forty years ago. McCain told reporters, "So for you people to say that I am taking a shot at Trump over that, then you people don't know my record. It is unfair and unequal. The rich people didn't serve, and poor people did. It has nothing to do with President Trump." There's some, he was one of the rich people. There's some talk about maybe reinstituting the draft. Yeah, because we need, we have we need, we have need for more people as we're expanding a little bit here and there all around with mil- apparently 800 people, 800 troops in Africa. So we need we need troops, but people aren't signing up. Recruitment yeah. efforts aren't being as fruitful. So like, hey, what about the draft? And people are like, well, then let's change the rules because it ends up that the draft ended up uh, bringing in a lot of middle class and poor people, but rich people were able to get out of it. Sure. No, that's true. And then he mentioned bone spurs, and then it turned. Well, but you know what else would be fascinating to find out is where they're coming from. Are more poor people coming from the middle of America, or from the big coastal cities? Right. To join the military, and are there more minorities? Because there might be Mm -hmm. more minorities that are poor. Sure. And I mean, you know, there's. The draft or the the ability to go enlist does help a lot of poor people pull themselves out, get educated. But so it's a it's a it's a touchy issue whenever the draft totally. comes up. But this made yeah. it worse by dropping bone spurs. Maybe he could have said <laughs> flat feet or something. Who knows? Yeah. According to interviews with dozens of storm victims, one of the busiest hurricane seasons in years has overwhelmed federal disaster officials. As a result, the government's response to the two biggest affected states, Texas and Florida, has been scattershot. Effective in dealing with immediate needs, but unreliable at times, inadequate in handling the aftermath. Handling the aftermath. Thousands of people face unusually long delays in any basic disaster assistance. People who call FEMA's helpline have waited on hold for two, three, four hours, even just to speak to a representative. Wow. Four hours? That's unbelievable. And that's in Texas and Florida, so what about Puerto Port- Rico? Puerto Rico, you do, there's... You're just standing in a line without any. Fun. There's some funding votes that are going to happen today to see if they can get more money, kind of to infuse FEMA, because apparently their disaster budget has been uh, taking a huge hit oh, this yeah. year with fires and everything wow. else. So wow! We'll see where that goes later today. And finally, a driver in Montreal apparently got a little too carried away while grooving to a favorite song. Now he's going to court to defend his singing voice. From 38 year old, this is the song. Really? He was jamming away. Oh, but this you is can't a great blame him. Song. This is a great song. This is where you would tap your toe on the accelerator. The 38-year-old man pulled over. Officers asked if he'd been screaming. He said, no, I was just singing along to this song by CNC Music Factory, Everyone Dance Now. So he's probably singing that yeah, one yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the officers unswayed, then issued him a $118 ticket for screaming in a public place. What? What? He goes, I don't know if my voice was very bad, but that's why I got the ticket. But I was very shocked. Now, he's now waiting for a court date so he can explain to the judge what happened and presumably avoid the fine for disturbing the peace. Would he have to sing this the way he was singing it in court? Yeah, probably. So he's, so he's walking in with a big stereo and... Hit and play. Well, this is a out. public service. This you, isn't disturbing the peace. You can't really do this with a phone, a yeah. phone speaker. You need a big stereo setup. Right. What were you trying to do? I was trying to get everyone to dance now. 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 Yeah. You can't do that quietly. He likens this situation to uh, happy Montreal fans screaming in their cars when the Canadians 
uh, win a hockey game. Yeah. Apparently, they win a hockey game and people just scream and go nuts. Yeah, well, he well, did it and got a fine. They get it and they get patted on the back for being a good fan. Come on. So his wife may have had the best take of all, though. She heard him singing and says, I think he should have been fined. Maybe doubled. What? Apparently, he's not a naturally born singer. What, but Sounds like a couple that needs to come visit you. Yeah. She That's thinks, a silly fight. She thinks the fine should be doubled. I think they just ought to make him go out in a public square yeah. with his ghetto blaster. Is that what they call him today? Stereos. Not yeah. today, but yeah. At one point they did. Those are the coolest things. People don't even really carry those around anymore. Yeah, they no, don't have that big shoulder. Phones. Yeah. And, um, and I think they ought to make him sing or do that song and dance. Now. Now. Mm. And get everybody dancing now. I think that would unify the nation uh-huh. by CNC Music Factory. Yeah. You think it's up to them? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well. Who hears the song and doesn't start dancing now? Well, apparently that cop. It's horrible. That cop's got an attitude. That cop should be thrown in jail. Mm. Boy, that's aggressive. <laughs> you even had the jail sound ready. Inflammatory, even. Yeah, I I don't know. It seems like we're losing our cool. I mean, that, there's nothing cooler than that. Mm. I mean, you could sing R-E-S-P-E-C-T. You could. You know, maybe the, maybe that's where he ought to go with it. Okay. Maybe he ought to do like a a whole disc where th- it's all of his favorite songs and he could just take it into the court and then just start dropping songs. At least he wasn't singing I Shot the Sheriff. <laughs> that would have been really bad. That's a good point. That's true. It's a very violent time to be trying <laughs> to use that song anywhere. Wow, um, I, are we all just getting too uptight? Is that what is that what's happening here? Probably. Yes. Can't we all just get along? No. In well, the immortal words of Rodney King, we've been asking that for how long now? Since Rodney Since King, the nineties, was like ninety two, I think ninety one. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we're always going to have conflict, but it seems like everyone's on edge, even in Canada. Yeah, in Canada, they're supposed to be really nice up there. Well, they are nice, but uh, that's not nice. Why wouldn't the cop understand that he was just singing along to a, a song? You Man. would think Canada would be the, the best place for that. Be yeah. the safest place for that. In fact, aren't they saying now uh, Colin Kaepernick may go to Canada? Well, they do have a league. And and he would have more. Would he? Probably would he, have, I mean, it's set up so that you could do that kind of stuff. The field is d- different dimensions. It's wider. Oh, he could run more. Maybe run more. They have uh, one less down. So we only have three downs instead of four, so it kind of promotes kind of a wilder, more open offense, and that's kind of how he likes to play. Yeah. Maybe BYU should go to Canada. Maybe yeah. they do. Let's... <laughs> Don't hate I'm on, on a roll today, apparently. Well, apparently, and you have the button hmm. that makes everything sound funny. You have the funny button. It's like a funny bone, but it's a button. Hmm. Um, BYU struggled. BYU football. Well, it was good at halftime. It was like 10-10. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't call that a good score, it's though. It's fine. I mean, 10, they weren't 10 out of it. with one of the worst teams in the country. It's fine. BYU's not one of the best teams in the country. I think people were forgetting the fact that BYU was right there with them. Yeah, but but were we? Because we had just been rolled by three top 20 teams. So right. then you start thinking, eh, maybe we're not that bad. And you start talking yourself into that. And then you play and one of the worst teams and you get rolled. Reality clocks you over the head. Yeah. Do you think if they hadn't had those three games against some of the top teams that maybe their confidence would have been boosted a little bit? You'd think that, huh? No. We'll never know. Not sure. Because they still probably just didn't have the goods. 
Maybe. They didn't have it on Saturday. Boy. But now they're playing San Jose State. Is that who they're playing? I think so. San Jose State University. Aren't they up next? And that's, you know, that they'll win that. Will they? They were supposed <laughs> to win last week. <laughs> you know who does have the goods? Who? Uh-oh. Who? It'll be in, you'll just turn on your TV, Fox, tonight at 6 p.m. Oh, the Dodgers. Mountain Time. The World Dodgers. Series. Yeah. Game one of the World Series. Now we have three topics that Jeff will talk about. Mm. The Dodgers. Yep. Nachos. Nachos. And there's one other. Movies. Movies. You can combine all of them. I'm sure Terry's going to have like a a window in window screen going on tonight. I want uh, Houston to win. I love the Dodgers. Don't get me wrong. Since Steve Garvey days, I love the Dodgers. However, I want the Astros. I, is Houston. that just because you feel bad for what they're going through yes. right now? Houston deserves it. They've never won a World Series. But they were saying that there could be wildfires during the game tonight in L.A. So why not L.A.? Well, I feel bad for L.A. too, but L.A.'s won, what, six World Series. So it's probably close so to being I, true. I'm actually thinking I'm going to go for the Astros. I'm going to shoot for the Stars, hmm. the Houston Astros. Wow. Oh, that, was, that was inspiring. <sighs> Thank you. Plus, I like Orange and Nolan Ryan. Do you remember Nolan? Oh, I remember Nolan. He's not involved at all, is he? I doubt it. I think he's running a minor league team in Round Rock, but that's different. Oh, that's hard. But that was several years ago. I'm not sure if he's still involved there. You know what? All I care about is that everybody dance now. Right now. You really like that? I don't like it. Should either. it be screamed or should the, should the guy have maybe had more of a melodic tone to his There yelling? is no melodic tone to this. There isn't? It's just you rip it. Rip it to your vocal should cord he le- strain. Should he have left the windows rolled up in his car Mm-mm. and not shared it with share the world? It. This is the song you share with everybody. <laughs> These male dancers are ripped, by the way. Yeah, they are. Man. They remind me of me. Well, they do work in a music younger. factory. That is true. Right? It's, so it's it's hard labor. Just a lot of pumping factory out work. the music. In a musical sense. Where do you work? I work at a music factory. <laughs> Making music all day long. Like a pirate. I don't know why I went to a pirate voice there. Anyway, up next, we're going to be talking about the power of music after death. It's still a great career move. Uh, you can make a lot of money if, you, if you're a well-known artist and you pass away. It may not be worth the final price, though. You still might want to be alive. Straight ahead on the Matt Townsend Show. Back with the face pajamas live in effect. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans. Way back up in the woods among the evergreens. Welcome back. A little Chuck Berry for you. Oh, you got to love that. Go, go. Hey, uh, Jeff uh, Snyder is going to be joining us. We've been talking about, um, you know, who doesn't love great music, right? And artists make a lot of money for record companies and for their families when they produce a really good number. But when they die, their album sales actually go up and they make even more money. As uh, more music divas and legends have been passing away, there is less and less money for the companies to make. Here to speak with us today is Jeff Snyder, the director of the music industry program at Lebanon Valley College. He's a music professor there as well. Jeff, thank you for your time. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. So really, in a weird way, uh, I guess dying for many of these um, musicians, it's a pretty good career move as far as record sales goes. (laughs) It's probably the best thing that could happen to them. 
especially as their careers have waned. Yeah. Suddenly they have a huge spike. It's, that's kind of sad, but, but you, you can see it. We saw it with Prince. We saw it with a, a lot of uh, – in fact, Bob Marley continues to sell records and, and make a, a big impact. What, what is it about um, – I mean, what is it about their death that all of a sudden makes their music become even more important? Uh, well, there's a couple ways to look at it, but what I'm seeing overall from a wide perspective is that it is our generation, my generation, that's dying. Um, that, you know, we look upon these artists like Tom Petty and Greg Allman, and we associate them with our, our youth. I mean, when these guys were young and fiery, we were too. Now that they're falling off, we're starting to see a bit of our own mortality uh, in a way. And so when somebody like Tom Petty dies, it's like a piece of us has died. Mm. And so we're pulled emotionally, uh, almost in a wake, uh, almost like a family member has died because it, it represents everything we are as a generation. That's so true, isn't it? it re- so it's, it's everybody trying to hang on to it. Plus, it's I even see with my, yo- my younger kids, when um, when some of these legends die, it, it's almost the first time they even hear their music. And exactly. then they jump on kind of the bandwagon as well. But very briefly, and, and what's happening is when Michael Jackson died, for instance, um, there was no Spotify hadn't come to the United States yet. Pandora had almost filed bankruptcy the year before. So this huge rush to buy his records um, had to be sales. So if you wanted to buy his records, you had to, to either download Thriller or buy the album. And they had run out of albums for two weeks, so that was the first big rush to download digital albums, but now when you talk about your kids, you know, what do they do? They just call up a couple of songs on Spotify. Yeah. And it's like eating French fries. And then they just move on to the next meal. Uh, whereas you and I, well, I'm assuming you, you yeah. look pretty young. Yeah. Used to sit and listen to a record from beginning to end over and over and over again until it became almost an appendage. We knew every word, you know, every, every melody. Oh, it's so true. Um, in fact, uh, one of the things you did a wonderful article in Newsweek about untimely death, still a great career move is what it was titled. And you, you get into some of the numbers. Talk about the numbers, because the percentage of increase in record sales at, posthumously, it's, it's mind boggling. Talk about uh, some of the impact that you've seen. Well, the most recent, obviously, sadly, is Tom Petty. And um, so I've been able to follow that pretty closely over the last couple of weeks. And uh, as a music act, for instance, um, his sales went up over 10,000 percent. And they like to go by percentages, but and I'll say why this isn't exactly um, true uh, when you use percentages. But his albums went up to 54 percent. Um, he had over 7 million streams. Um Hmm. What else? Uh, you know, the last time he was in the charts was 2014, and now he's had his best-selling record um, at number two for a couple of weeks. Uh, within 24 hours, uh, he had sold 55,000 albums, up from a week the day before, just a thousand. Wow! And uh, Prince, as you know, we all know, he 3.5 million, you know, albums. He was the number one selling artist last year, dead. I mean, Unbelievable. Really bad, but, yeah. you know, that's where he rose to because uh, of his passing. 
Does it matter how they die? Uh, does it matter if it was, you know, kind of expected versus, you know, a surprise? I don't think it's a, it's a surprise for our generation. Because <laughs> when we hear that, you know, somebody died of an overdose, well, that's how they all died. Yeah, that's how uh, we think, huh? Or, you know, we, we, we're, we're sort of uh, immune to the, the way they die uh, as compared to, you know, what it represents and how it pulls from us. I mean, the early guys like uh, Cobain mm-hmm. and John Lennon and those guys, they, they went into Never Never Land. You know, they are eternally young. You know, we see them as martyrs for the cause. Mm. But when we see these guys dying of old age or getting dementia, you know, we start to look at ourselves and go, my God, that's me. You know, that's, these are the guys I grew up with. These are my friends. And, you know, rock and roll has become, uh, you know, the rock of the aged instead of the ages. <laughs> the rock of the aged. Um, do you see, because it's one thing, I guess, the fans are, are driving a lot of this, but it seems like, too, the companies must be realizing the value of this. How do you see, you know, the record labels taking advantage of this? Oh, they, they you know, Dave Bowie knew he was dying, but he put out another record. You know, it, it, was, it was ready to go. Um, the whole industry looks at these guys um, as a, a windfall. Uh, if you look at the tours, uh, last year, last year the top tours uh, that were on the road, the, the biggest money makers, uh, 43 of the musicians were above 50 years old, 17 were above 60, and eight were above 70 years old. Huh. You know, so you have uh, everybody from, you know, Paul McCartney and and all of these guys who are breaking in tons of money as we all rush uh, to to see them. Uh, there was the, I forget what it was called, there was a festival um, in October earlier this month where it was just nothing but the old guys. Uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, one of the guys said he was glad they actually made it that far. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was Paul McCartney, The Who, you, you know, that bunch. It was a festival, and um, they brought in over $200 million. Holy cow. Over 1000 But my generation, again, you know, we're retiring. Yeah. We have money. You have the money. Uh, and, and we don't mind spending it to go back and see our friends one more time. Well, yeah. Again, it, like it, it seriously, it's like a it's like an injection from the fountain of youth. It, it, right. it buys you another weekend of joy and pleasure. So if a young, young, young uh, artist today, let's say somebody really popular, I won't name a name, I don't want to curse anybody, um, but if somebody young died today, would they have the same impact? Would they be like immor- like a Kurt Cobain, immortally uh, put into Never Never Land? Or does it also depend on the market that has the money and, and are they going to stay popular long enough? What you're asking is somebody like Adele. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. Years from now, uh, will this generation uh, feel like feel a loss? And um, I personally don't think so. And the reason is because uh, the distribution points, what we fed on when we were young, was very, very limited. We were told what to eat. We all ate the same thing, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all watched the same cartoon. So that's why we know who the Jetsons are. This generation, there's so much coming in, the millennials, from so many directions. It's sort of like we used to sit in front of the Mona Lisa and stare at it until we got it. 
these guys, they see the Mona Lisa like a billboard going by on the highway. It's just they see it, but they don't, you know. Consume it. They don't consume it, right. And I think that's going to be the same with Adele or Taylor Swift. Um, and even though they're selling a lot of records, they're still not hitting, you know, the, the huge amount of records that were sold in the past. I mean, Titanic sold over 9 million records in one year. Wow. And we don't, you know, necessarily um, care about that. Backstreet Boys. So even the record sales now, because of streaming and stuff, has plummeted. Um, with Tom Petty's record being at number two, 10 years ago, probably from the number of sales, would have been maybe at 20. Hmm. So it's easy to hit number two if, you know, you sold 90,000 records, which would be considered to be, you know, a failure years ago. Um you know, Shania Twain sold a ton of records. That's for one week. And and the record labels, there's three peaks in this. The first is in the 60s and 70s when they first came out with the records. The second bump that I noticed is in the 1980s when CDs came out, and we all rushed to buy the very same record we already had. Right. And there was no cost involved. It was already produced. The artwork was done. All they had to do was digitize it, shrink it down, and send it out. So it was pure profit. Um, and there was a small bump for the for the labels, especially uh, when iTunes came on, because people again began to purchase albums. But now they are definitely seeing um, these evergreens, if you will, um, begin to fall off as, as far as how much money they make. Mm. It really is. It's amazing because. Uh... You know, I may not get into a lot of the bands that my kids are listening to, but my kids are listening to all of the greats that I listen to. And, I mean, I can sit with my, and my kids and share with them, uh, you know, a YouTube video of Willie Nelson even singing a song, and they're all, like, mesmerized. Um, but like right. you said, but it's almost like a billboard that'll just pass in the night. But they'll share it with their friends tomorrow, and it'll become a hit in their area or their group for a while. But... Um, it really, it's a different game. I remember my, I never got into the vinyls, but I, my, my sister, cause we had cassettes when I came up, um, but my sisters would carry their vinyls around, right? I mean, they'd take them to their friend's house and you'd bring your, your vinyls over and you'd play your records for everybody. And collectively everybody had every song. So it, there is almost a, it's, it's not a, it's like a cult. It's just more of a, it, like it is our cult. It was our culture back then. Absolutely. Um, I, I teach a class called Milestones in, in Music Recording, and we take all the great you know, Mona Lisas of the record industry, whether it's Sgt. Pepper, OK Computer, uh, What's Going On, uh, Pet Sounds, and uh, the first day that we get into each album, I turn the lights off, and I play the album from beginning to end, and they're mesmerized because they've never experienced that before. Hmm. I make them turn off their phones, which they still have a hard time doing. You yeah. can see they, they do the last couple of tweaks before I give them stink eye and say, turn it off. <laughs> and, um, and then they, what's funny is they tell me they go home and they tell their parents, hey, I just listened to Pet Sounds from beginning to end. And the parents, you know, they love it. They rush down to the basement, they grab the vinyl, and they say, well, let's listen to it. Uh, and a lot of these records, like Dark Side of the Moon, if you don't listen to it from beginning to end, it's sort of like listening to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, but only listening to the third movement. You don't get the whole picture. Yeah. 
the whole effect. Uh, who yeah. makes more money in this game? Um, is it the label that makes more money, or is it the uh, the artist and or the artist's family? Uh, everybody. The the biggest money makers are going to be the songwriters. For instance, a, a lot of Tom Petty's songs he co-wrote with Jeff Lynne of Electric Light Orchestra. He produced Tom Petty a lot. And so he's making money because every time a record sells, a song sells, he mm. was a co-writer, he's making a percentage of that. Uh, the Traveling Wilburys, sales for them went up. And <clears throat> so Roy Orbison and George Harrison's family oh, yeah. are also making money for every sale. So every time you have one of these deaths, not only does the family make money because the copyright you know, length is death plus 70 years, so they'll make another tons of money for another 70 years off of uh, whoever it was that died. You have all these secondary people that is also making a ton of money. Um, I even noticed that when Tom Petty died on Google Trends that there was a huge spike, not a huge, but a noticeable spike in Stevie Nicks and Bob Dylan. Huh. Anybody associated with Tom Petty, uh, people were also Googling uh, anybody associated with him uh, and to see either the song uh, you know, stop dragging my heart around was a huge hit for both her and him, and um, and then it trailed off, you know, pretty quickly. But that's the ripple effect it has all through the industry. That's amazing. And um, two, it seems like another iteration of this is some of these stars. And I don't know, didn't didn't Bruce Springsteen? Re uh, reconstruct Roy Orbison songs with him, videos of him in his in his uh, in his um, music video. I don't know. I don't watch. I, you know, like, where like, do you watch music videos anymore? You know, but it's it's, it's, it's kind of like Nat Cole, Natalie Cole, re you know reincarnated her dad, her father, right. and they were able to sing songs together. I mean, it, there's just something about not wanting to lose. The oldies and a lot of uh, a lot of the youngins want to cling, or now they're not even young anymore. But they want to cling on to that history. Is that just us trying to stay young and also jump into that bigger marketplace? Uh, a little bit of both, and um, and also these guys have become very respected icons. You know, they've become public figures. These guys who ran around trashing motel rooms yeah. are now looked upon with uh, as great statesmen of our generation. Universities are approaching them. They're, Bruce Springsteen is setting up an archive of all of his material. They're treating him like he's Stravinsky you know, <laughs> after he died. And the colleges are saying, give us all your manuscripts. Uh, we want to be the library of. And so they're already tapping into all of them. Wow. Uh, and, also, and, you know, the... The book sales, I call it the end of the greatest generation. It's like a sudden, everybody's trying to record everything they can about these guys. So every every day you see, you know, a biography about one of these guys or a video or a movie. And they're going to keep tapping into us until we're all gone. Hmm. Uh, it's amazing. It really is. And then they bring out records that have never been played before or songs that, uh, you know, were never final produced and mm -hmm. and and publishing those it it really is um i guess it's do it it's stretch this potential as far as they can like stretch this incredible resource oh, yeah. as much as they can yeah i'm the first victim of buying these hundred dollar led zeppelin sets you know because i want to hear all the music that you know um plant said they shouldn't release 
you know, it's not that good. Interesting. Yeah. Hear it. But they're going through all the different uh, archives and cleaning them up. And I'm the kind of guy who's buying it all. You bought uh, it. I want to hear every little aspect of it. That's pretty neat, though. I mean, really, it's it's. I think it's awesome because. But it, do you think it's is music? Was it just so good then, or was it just so much more? We've romanticized it because we carried it so deep into our culture. Was it such better music? I don't know that it was better music because uh, I think it's the exposure and again yeah. the limited number of outlets. We all you know ate at the same table and we were all part of a tribe. It was a community effort. It was sort of like a early morning Saturday cartoons. Every kid in the United States at 8 a.m. Uh, would lay on the floor in front of the TV until noontime watching the same cartoon. Right. And uh, it became a part of us. There was a, a research paper years ago, and I haven't been able to find it, but they asked a whole bunch of new mothers, uh, what music were you listening to at conception? In other words, what, yeah. what record did you put on when you guys were getting a little frisky? And they all uh, the biggest one was Dark Side of the Moon, which makes a lot of sense. Right. You know. Wow. Uh, but the point is that they remembered what was being played yeah. at a very important part of their lives. It's sort of like, you know, what were you doing when at, during 9-11 or when the space shuttle blew up or, you know, those kind of things. They're ingrained into our psyche. And when we hear them, it's like smell. It, it brings back... Um, it takes us back to a memory. We know what we were doing when certain albums came out. Yeah, and to a whole new world, really, huh? Right, right. It, it's a, it really. I think it's. I think it's. It's fascinating what's happening. I mean, fascinating, especially too when I think of you know the law when Elvis died, because Elvis dying in in my family in my household, it felt like Kennedy was shot. You know, it was it was it was dark. Elvis was gone, and. Uh, Lots of lots of history there, man. We appreciate your insight, Jeff Snyder. Thank you again for being with us and for just walking us down memory memory lane and seeing the power of money when it comes to music. Um, again, Jeff Snyder is the director of the music industry program at Lebanon Valley College, also a music professor there. He oversees the student-run Vale Music Group, uh, which includes a record label, publishing company, booking agency, and conference events. Great stuff. We, uh, we will continue the journey, folks, helping us all understand what's going on in this world and what's going on in life. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Yes, I love technology, but not as much as you, you see. But I still love technology, always and forever. Welcome back. One of the greatest uh, songs I think ever written. After, of course, Elvis, the Beatles, Queen, all those other groups. There's always Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know if he'll make any money after he dies. Kip's wedding song, I Love Technology. Uh, That's one that's not going to probably make it uh, into the history books. No. But he was singing it to La Fonda, and you knew uh, you knew life was good if if uh, you can pull out a song like that. Let's talk technology for a bit. Uh, what's going on? You you're telling me yes. 
that I there may be some technology changes that are going to impact my life. Absolutely. You like to fly to certain events. Yes. You flew last week. Love it. Love a good flight. Uh, the US FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, wants the world's airlines to stop letting passengers put large electronic devices like laptops in checked bags on international flights. The proposal which would no doubt upset some frequent travelers, will be considered by the United Nations in the coming week. The FAA is concerned about the lithium-ion batteries that are common in electronic devices like laptops. Tests have conducted by the agency have concluded that when large electronics overheat in luggage, they run the risk of combustion when packed with aerosol canisters like hairspray, oh, yeah. dry shampoo. Depending on the type of plane, the potential for explosion becomes a danger because some of the airplanes don't have the fire suppression equipment necessary to deal with that type of situation with the luggage. So I guess it's safer to pack your laptop right above your head, stow it away right above your head? Not sure. That seems like I guess they want it in the cabin. Then you can get to it faster? Possibly. Huh. I'm not hmm. sure. It says the FAA paper doesn't address whether there should be a domestic ban, but sees this as a global issue and hopes to set a worldwide standard through the U.N. since people so commonly hop on connecting flights that yeah. come into the U.S. and leave the U.S. And I would never check my computer. So it doesn't look like we're right to the point where they're not going to allow them in cabins. Yeah. But... I mean, where's this going to go? Well, I mean, at some point, you just can't take your computer with you. It seems like at some point we ought to solve the battery problem. You know? Yeah. And then make it so your batteries don't overheat, and then make your hairspray turn into an explosive device. Because <laughs> <laughs> remember, everybody on that airplane has hairspray probably in their hair or some right. product that's going to light oh, yeah. up. The FAA believes this hasn't been a problem because most people don't put them in their yeah. checked baggage because they're going to have them on the airplane. But then what? I, I mean, but are they still not catching on fire in the cabin? If it's a problem, it seems like it would be a problem. Yeah. I didn't see on my flight, I didn't see one laptop catch on fire. Right. Now, there was an incident in, uh, I forget, it was in Africa, I believe, but somebody put a laptop on the side of an airplane wall inside it and purposely blew up a bomb that was in it oh, and wow. that's what's kind of led to all this yeah. is, okay. and then you have you know the samsung if you want to yeah. play your little sounder there and watch something blow up but just the idea that the phones have had problems batteries are problematic yeah. they're looking at this there's been bans before from uh, international flights into the u.s temporary bans as they've been that's good hearing some I mean, it sounds like president trump's on it We'll see what happens. Uh, also, th- I found this this morning. It says you should never charge your phone in your car. What? Why? That's, it, for a lot of people, that's the only place they have a charger. <laughs> that's where I watch all my television. It may seem harmless to plug your phone into your car's USB port, but unless you're uh, desperate, charging your phone during your commute might be a big mistake. Uh. For starters, the USB port in your vehicle probably provides less electricity than your phone really needs to charge. By plugging your phone into a low-power USB port like the one in your car, you allow the device to swallow power at a rate that is much too fast for the port's capabilities. Oh, yeah. As a result, your phone might stall while it charges or worse, barely charge at all. This is a this common battery-saving iPhone. Oh, then they just start selling stuff. What more? Uh, <laughs> charging your phone while on the road could drain your car's battery. While the extent of the damage depends on the type of phone you have and its battery, the odds are high that your device is depleting your car's battery as it charges. This usually isn't a big deal for those who own newer cars with healthy batteries, but if your car's older, um, older model, you might yeah. want to avoid charging in your car. That but makes you're, sense. But you're telling me there's a charge. So it says play it safe, wait till you get home, and plug it in next time, you know. You but no, but I need plans. to. I need to have it now. Yeah. 
So if you have a newer car, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Relax. Not a big deal. We're going to take a break, folks. Uh, come back to a little Coach's Corner. Continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's my house. Come on. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome to my house, folks. Uh, the You know, life's tough, isn't it? And we we have all of this nostalgia for music and i i really wonder what it's what it's about it, it seems like deep deep down um there's we many of us i mean maybe of the older generation we want to get back to that good old fashioned day when you could leave your front door open uh you know have the screen on maybe put some vinyls on and 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 get back and and just enjoy listening to some great music Hmm? Or when you used to – like I used to go hang out at my grandparents' house and every – I think it was Sunday we'd sit around the old uh, wood box television, like real nice wood furniture television set and we would watch Lawrence Welk. And we'd get to see a really nice variety show of dancing and champagne dreams, <laughs> bubbles everywhere. Ah. And I look at my kids, and I, I I think our earlier guests made a really excellent point that they're um, they they can look at these really incredible masterpieces, but it really is just like they're driving by a billboard. Oh, okay, yeah, saw that. Yep, yep, nope, saw that. Oh, had that experience. But I guess because we had fewer things going on, these things became more universal. They became more shared, kind of collective events. And it might be telling us that there's something powerful in creating culture. And uh, personally, there's a lot I think we can do with our families. There's a lot we can do with our kids to create a feeling of culture like that. Kids want predictability. They want to know that we're going to have a certain uh, you know, predictable schedule in our lives. We're going to have a family meeting um, once a week, we're going like with us, our kids like to know that we're going to have a family prayer at the end of the day, something, just something that tells them that everything's okay. We're all fine. And even though they kind of moan when you're like, Hey, let's get together and have a family time. They, of course they're going to moan. That's what teenagers do, but they predictably get there and we then can have some great conversations. We can share some great stuff. So don't think just because, you know, Life is moving on. Great musicians are passing on. Um, that that this world isn't a great place. We just need to take the principles of things we used to do, like we need to sit around and have more talks. We need to have more family circles where we share more insight. We need to ask them to turn the the intervening technology off so that they can actually be present and start experiencing certain things and slowly but surely drip more and more opportunity, more culture, more connection into their lives. Family dinner is a great place to do that as well. So the research bears out that when you're having events like that, you're going to create stronger families, stronger kids, and that's the goal for all of us. That's uh, that's it. And uh, for hour number one, up next, uh, BYU or uh, BBC News will be up, and then we got a full new hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is 
The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The gang is gathered, and today we are going to uh, take you on an excursion through life. Wow. Teaching you how to be more resilient, but not the way we think. We always talk about grit. You need more grit. Grit. Do we talk about grit? Yeah. Or do I mention grit so we can all kind of like kind of smile? Did you have a lot of grits in Texas? No, I did not. Mm. But he did have a lot of grit. Mm. In his boots. Um, no, but we talk about resilient kids all the time. We need yeah. to build more resiliency. But today's guest is going to get into the fact that maybe it's not about your ability to uh, rebound. Uh, what's the word? It's, it might be about your energy level. Mm. So you've got to be able to be rechargeable. And the faster you can recharge, the more resilient in life you are. So take a day off. Take a day off and manage your life and your schedule so you can recharge. And don't just think you're going to recharge at the end of every day and then at the end of every week. You need to recharge maybe. you Like we do this show and since I twisted my ankle and almost died. That's kind of an overstatement. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. Well, no, I fell in the middle of a road. You didn't, right in the middle of a you crosswalk. You die. There was not a car that almost hit you. There was not really any imminent danger. But if the light had changed, but if it, I had somehow lost consciousness and the light had changed, I could have easily been run over. Except the people laughing were incapable of driving at the moment, so you're probably fine. If anything, they were what? in more danger <laughs> from crashing into each other from laughing. Yes. You were more dangerous to them. That seems kind of rude. Well,. Sometimes the facts can We hurt. only state the facts. I don't get it. I mean, I I try so hard with you guys. As CNN <laughs> is saying, this is an apple, not a banana. Facts matter. Really? Have you seen those commercials? No. They, there's an apple on this white background. They go, yeah. some people will try to tell you that this is an this is a this they go, this is an apple. Some people will try to tell you this is a banana. And they'll keep saying it's a banana, mm-hmm. and they'll say banana, 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 but whatever they say, this is still an apple. Uh, and then it says facts matter. See, that's why Trump's like, fake news. <laughs> They're fake news. Okay, uh, let's do a quick test here, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, apple and banana. There you go. See, every fruit has a sound. There you go. Avocado. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See how fun this is? It's a crazy avocado. By the way, speaking yeah. of recharging, yeah. we learned last hour from Terry, don't recharge your phone in your car. If you have like a 1980s yeah. car. Because the tech Which device, sometimes I wish I did. They're, oh, more, yeah. they're more worried about your car battery. If you have an older car battery, it might put too much stress on the car battery and hurt the performance of your car. Well, a 2003 Toyota Camry Solara is probably... <clears throat> One of those older cars, right? Does it, even, yeah. does it have a USB port? I'm sorry. It's a 2004. Um, <laughs> oh, that changes everything. <laughs> uh, no, I had to put yeah. a little adapter yep. in there. By the way, there it's a beautiful car. Seriously. Thank you. It's red. It is nice. It's sporty. one of those cars that always looks like it's clean, but it rarely is. Yeah. <laughs> it's because you got baby car seats in the back. And my car looks like it's dirty, and it almost always is. Mm. See how that works? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, my car parked at the par- at the airport. Yeah, filthy. They're rebuilding the airport. Ah, 
It is Lots a, of dust. It's, well, I've you got, got a, a big mud car now. you got to stop parking under the crop dusting area. Yeah. A really strong chemical smell. <laughs> I don't understand. Bug-free, though. Bug, bug-free. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to more about resiliency by learning to recharge. But first to the headlines with Terry. What's going on, Terry? Secretary of State Rex Tillerson made a surprise trip to Afghanistan on Monday where he signaled the U.S.'s desire for a peaceful resolution to the 16-year war in the country. Tillerson appealed to moderate voices among the Taliban during the announced trip going so far as to hypothetically offer governmental posts to such individuals in Afghanistan. Huh. Not here. He's not, not like, here, hey, they, you, I mean, you can yeah. be Secretary of Treasury. No, yeah. you're going to be in Afghanistan, but we'll help you out and see Wait, if you we, can have a voice in government. Because that's, that's kind of what they want. Yeah, sure. Foreign policy notes that Tillerson's covert trip was likely a reflection of Trump's, the Trump administration's larger plans for the country. This is interesting. This may be their larger plan. Tillerson said the U.S. wants to make it clear the Taliban and other militants that the U.S. was in Afghanistan for the long haul and that militants would not prevail militarily. The diplomatic overture signals that Trump administration's eagerness to wrap up the longest war in U.S. history. Well, and so it's only been 16 years? Yeah. But, like, didn't the Russians fight Afghanistan they did. for, like, 40 years? They did. Yeah. So, they, they left because they never were able to It's, it's get a war a you don't it. win, right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll okay. see. There's, yeah. There may be a plan is what I'm trying to say. Okay, good. Oh, that's great. Which is always good. General Joseph Dumford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, addressed the media Monday regarding the deadly ambush of Army soldiers in Niger. Four U.S. service members were killed October 4th. Dumford said American forces were ambushed by nearly 50 local militants who were likely affiliated with the Islamic State. Five Nigerian soldiers also died in the battle. Critics note Im- noted information about America's presence in Niger had been scarce, prompting Dumford to acknowledge that we owe you more information. He confirmed that there are roughly 800 U.S. soldiers stationed in Niger, the highest uh, contingent in a single African country, who are working as part of an international effort led by 4,000 French troops to defeat terrorists in West Africa. Well, by the way, and these were all Green Berets. Yes. And they apparently fought for an hour before they then called for backup air support. Yeah, they didn't call in. They thought they could just handle it. Yeah, and surprise. But, yeah, that's tragic. Yeah. Ugh. So there's a there's a bunch of questions. You'll see more hearings. And so 800 soldier, American soldiers in Niger. <clears throat> and now is that an apple or is that a banana, according to CNN? That story would be an apple. It okay. came right from the Joint Chiefs. Okay, good. That's an Someone apple. else may refer to it as a banana. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to keep our, our, our tally on that. It's kind That's of good. an interesting approach to news. It really is. Lots of fruit. President Trump promised Monday there will be no ta- no change to tax initiatives for the popular 401k retirement programs. That's good. He goes, I will not lay a hand on your 401k. Trump has always, or This has always been a great <laughs> and great popular middle class tax break that works and it stays. The AP reports the president appears to be responding to a recent report in the New York Times that Republican lawmakers were considering limiting the amount of workers could save on their 401k retirement accounts. So he goes, no change in the 401k. Um, so the current annual contribution cap, do you know what that is for your 401k? For a year, how much money can you put in? Uh, is it $7,500? It's 18000 What? Wow. They would possibly lower that to $2,400. Well, let's not oh, do my. that. Yeah. The idea that is that because income uh, put into a 401k isn't taxed until it's withdrawn years later, lowering contributions would generate immediate tax revenue for the government, an estimated $115 billion in 2018. Yeah, because everyone's wow. now concerned that this is not a tax. This is tax 
is not money – what is it? Neutral. It's it's going to end up costing a trillion and a half dollars over 10 years or whatever. Right. So they have to find some way to save money. Yeah. And this is all has to do I think with avoiding the 50 vote versus 60 vote yeah. argument in the Senate. Maybe what they could healthcare. do is just – I don't know. Get rid of some of the things that aren't working in government uh, that are still costing us money. Sure. So maybe like give us the tax break and – Go save a trillion and a half dollars by doing other cuts. Like what? Uh, I mean, there's military cuts. Could be. But like you would say, hey, just get rid of – like we don't need military spending in Africa. And now we find out, oh, yeah, we do. What yeah. about the catering budget? Can't everybody just yeah. bring their own lunch? Yeah, right. What's the big deal with that? I mean, I guarantee if we got into it, we'd find where we can make some cuts. Private jets, people using private jets to fly Fewer around. private jets. That's a way probably Fewer to honeymoon help. trips for treasury secretaries. Right. I or mean, for an example. Lunches with sons in Kentucky. They huh? could start charging tickets to get onto Air Force One, allowing people to... Uh, all right. Don't start that. Come on. Well, yeah. they do. Like all the media, they pay. Yeah. And they fly Air Force One. Do they? Members, they do. And members of the government, I'm not sure if like if... President Trump invites a senator. You'll hear senators kind of tagging along for a trip. I don't know if they pay. I think they do. Or maybe you're just a guest of the president. I don't know how that works. But if you want to bring your lackeys, then the lackeys have to pay. Ah, the lackeys. They never win. Mm -hmm. Finally, Sunday's Venice Marathon. Hold on. Yeah. Is there enough ground in Venice to run a marathon? Apparently. They ran a marathon. And it was in Venice. So I I imagine the answer to that would be Or do they just run in in place on a gondola? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure. That would be interesting. Uh, it's just the second time that Mr. I'm not going to use his whole name, Fennell, okay. ever ran. Oh, this is running. And I yet, was thinking it was driving. It's a marathon. Marathon is usually a running situation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They're tricky words. So he's the second. Uh, well, he it's the let's see here. He's at the Italian runner. He won the race. He's so it's never. The, it's the second time in life. Second he's time run. in life that he's ran the marathon, and he won thanks to a wrong turn. Ah. It says a guide motorcycle led the pack of seven runners who were in the lead several hundred meters off course before they realized the mistake and turned around, costing them about two minutes. The, <laughs> the, the incident, which happened about halfway through the race, per the International Association of Athletics Federation, ultimately helped make Fennell the first Italian man to win the marathon in 22 See, years. That, that's home court advantage. It's... Okay. So did he win? Here's the sound of running. There you go. Mr. Gunnell. Vanel. Vanel. An Italian Vanel. guy. I was going to say his name, but I'm just going to butcher it. He so. sees him turning right, yeah. and he thinks to himself, no, that's a mistake. Aha! Who runs with a big, giant smile on their face, by the way? Well, people that are in shape. Yeah, they enjoy hmm. it. If you, That's how I know that running's not that great, because every marathon that you ever witness, everyone looks miserable. So why are we doing that? I'm miserable watching people running. I know. I feel like I ought to get up and run, and then I, you know, think a little bit more, and I'm like, I can, I can play ah. this on a trombone. Just thought I'd toss that in. No, really? No, I can. I learned to play it in junior high, and I've oh, always well, used we've it. We've got to hear that. No, that's fine. Do you I have a trombone at home? Uh, it's at my parents' house, I think. Case. Please do, but just make no. sure you point the spit valve at Matt. Yeah, it leaks, and then the whole thing when you start buzzing the instruments, that's how you make the noise. Yeah. It, like, inflames your lip, and then you have a fat lip all day. You know what? It's kind of bad. But could you just throw together a little audio of you playing this? 
Why would you want to hear that? I just think it's fascinating that I played the trombone, mm-hmm. and I want to see. Then I want to see your lips get that big. Oh, it's embarrassing. It's just it's like someone popped you in the face. Well, and... you look like you had Botox or yeah. whatever they do. Oh yeah, it really whatever looks they like do. Botox. Do they put Botox in your lips? Um, they, yeah, don't if they you play like long put collagen enough. or something? You have to take extreme measures, you know, as you get older as a trombone player. Oh yeah, because yeah. you, you once you start losing lip, mm. then you, it's so hard to keep that seal on the. It's true. Uh, what's what do they call the little the uh, mouthpiece? The mouthpiece. Yes, I think Terry's trying to bury his talents here. Is what's yeah. going on? Putting them right under a bushel. <laughs> wow. So you'll do that for us? No. Hmm. You're gonna lose it. You got to give it away to keep if you it. Don't, it's when was the last be... time you played the trombone? 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, see, you're going to lose it. It's probably gone. You're going to, well, it's not gone. You don't it, think so? I think subconsciously you wanted us to have you play it. That's why no, you No, I just, it I heard, it's, it's like our, our guest in the first hour. He says, you hear certain music, it takes you back to a place. Yeah. And I remember the hours it took me to figure this out because I had to do it as a live performance. Right. Excellent. It was like they had this like solo festival with our our band class, and it was part of if you want to pass the class, you have to do this. As you could probably imagine, it was a solo event that I didn't want to participate in. Right. There's yeah. a lot of these that come. Well, up. it's like your picture. You don't, it's like I mean, the photograph we took yeah. in certain meetings we go to. I'm like, what are we doing? You just don't. You're you're anti anything. Extra. Kind of anything. Yeah. I know. I, I have that. And I'm sorry if that's dragging no, you guys down. No, it's, it's just that's why I think it's important that you step up, bring your trombone. No, I don't really think that's going to solve anything. And bring it home. I was not pleased with those photos, by the way. I gave them my heart and my soul and my blood and my sweat, and yeah. they chose just a normal looking one. I know. Maybe it was all that blood and sweat that they were like thinking that we can't use that picture. Where did you see your Way photo? Way too much blood. And they gave us a booklet. Oh, I, that's another thing you missed. Oh, Terry's nice. is great. In fact, let's do it on the air right now because um, is mine in there? Yours is oh, in there, and no. yours is one that you will be pleasantly oh. not <laughs> surprised about. Let's see. I can't even see it. Am I over here? Terry South. It looks oh, well, like they, you're kind of playing the trombone they, they in the, the picture, t- doesn't it? They cut the top of my head off. It looks like I'm in mid-speech. Yeah, but you're like you're kind of laughing. You're this is the guy that didn't want to even do this shot. It's kind of a like half of my face is contorted, uh-huh. but in a good way. No, it, it's a good contortion. It looks like half of my face is losing. All I thought, muscle structure. I thought I don't it was know. a great picture of you. Yeah, there's better. And I told Matt before you got here, or maybe during one of the breaks, that I had brought his book with me, and I was you were trying having to, them take pictures of me reading his book. You were trying to disrespect me. No, and see, they they protected me. No, it. You were, my, you were trying to joke, tease. No, but. no, no, no. My those pictures showed an array of emotions that yeah. all readers go through while reading your book. Mine, I'm not, I don't. I wasn't pleased with mine, but I, I, sh- I don't. Care I should have anymore. been posed better. That's ridiculous. No, but it looks great. There's, no, it doesn't. There's happiness. There's sadness. The yeah. problem there's is pain. When they bring you up for any sort of like award or yeah. any sort of recognition in this building, they're going to show that photo. That photo forever, and it's going to yeah. look like I'm. I like. Eat a lemon or something. No, so it's fantastic. just take a sabbatical right before the five-year mark and then come back. No. Well, then I'll they just, won't be able to give you the five-year I'll, I'll take that day off. So, yeah. <laughs> See, because they do it like when you're a brand-new employee, at the first meeting they have you stand up, I didn't go to that meeting. 
Because yeah. it was like the next day. Yeah, so yeah. I was hired the next day. Well, they you, had the meeting and I wasn't there. You've pretty much avoided every meeting. Right. And so now when they go and have a meeting where they recognize me and they want me there, I just won't be there. Oh, wow. So I won't be in the room when this photo comes up and I won't have to you know, deal with that public shame. <sighs> it's a horrible photo. Yeah, it's good. It's, I think it I – I mean when you think about what they were working with and how bad you did not want to be there. That's pretty good. I put makeup on for this photo. Well, know, it was put, put you didn't on even you. Need to. That's what was neat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had too much uh, mascara on. There was. The lipstick went mm-hmm. too far, but you could have taken it off a little sooner. And I've never seen a guy wear so much blue makeup on their eyelids. The makeup artist said it went with my complexion. Yeah, she didn't. She say it would make your eyes pop. Yeah, I think she so. said it was mood makeup. Mm-hmm. But I think you look great. Yeah. Loving it, and I love the boa, by the way. A lot of guys can't pull the boa off. I Yeah. Can't do it. Mm. Bummer. Hey, uh, up next, we're going to be talking about resiliency and uh, how, how really it may be more about how you recharge. It's not just putting up and enduring with a difficult life or a hard day. It might be about how you recharge, and the more you recharge, the more resilient you become. That's straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Are you someone who goes home from work and can't keep your mind off of your work? Many people at home can't uh, help but check their phones for work emails or can't even sleep because they're thinking about what they need to get done for their job. They don't get a break from work at home, and it costs companies $62 billion a year in lost productivity. Michelle Gielen, who is a positive psychology researcher, explains why having a recovery period is essential to uh, a healthy, happy life. Michelle, thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. So you are actually, uh, you're an executive producer of The Happiness Advantage, which is a special on PBS and a featured professor in Oprah's Happiness Course. Um, Is Happiness Advantage coming from Sean Acor's content? Yeah, actually, that's my husband. Is it really? It's one of my favorite books of all time. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's kind of fun as his wife. I, I get to be his producer, too, which means basically I just boss him around. That's right. You have all the power. <laughs> How cool is that? What a great what a great insight you're giving us here, though, because we, we talk a lot about resiliency. It's kind of like the new term of our our era or our this decade is we need more resilient kids. We need more resilient people. But a lot of what you're really talking about is your ability to recharge. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a misunderstanding right now with what being resilient really means. People think it's about slogging through, you keep going, you work really hard. But what we're oftentimes forgetting is that built into that experience, in order to fuel our resiliency, we need to take time to recharge and allow our brains that break so it comes back to the work we're doing, whether it's school or at our jobs, uh, and our brain is in that high performance zone. Hmm. Because I think what we we think is, yeah, I'll just I'll I'll recharge tonight, or I'll recharge on the weekends. But I, I guess really it's got to be more of something we do throughout the day. Yes, yeah, so there's actually three main areas I think that we can uh, build into our lives this oppor- these opportunities to recharge. 
One is during the workday or during the school day. The other is after hours, right? So really giving ourselves that break. And then um, we also should be really thinking about our vacation time too. How are we using it? And are we mentally disconnecting from work? Because the truth is, if we, in any of those times, are sitting there with our phones, checking our email every five minutes, notifications are going off constantly, or we're constantly having conversations with our loved ones or others about work, we're not really leaving work behind and giving ourselves that opportunity to to, to reboot. It's so true. And I sit there and I think um, like it's almost like it's natural to want to constantly be succeeding and pushing your career ahead except what are the benefits? So if I could actually turn it off, I mean, I know positive psychology has a lot of benefits to teach us. What would I gain by actually being able to turn my work off more? Well, my favorite is some research that we did about vacations. If you can really take a good vacation, it improves your performance and your likelihood of Uh, receiving a raise or a promotion when you return to work. So we did this study uh, in partnership with the U.S. Travel Association. We looked at the impact of taking 11 or more paid, uh, paid vacation days. So this is really people who have as part of their benefits package paid time off. They work more than 35 hours on average a week. And, um, and what we found is that if you take 11 or more vacation days, you're 30% more likely to receive a raise when you return, not immediately, right, but within that next calendar year, uh, as compared to the people who took 10 or fewer days. Um, and so, you know, it, that just shows us the impact that giving our brain that break can have then on our future performance. Um, and we're also giving ourselves the opportunity to do other kinds of activities that can be really fun, right? Like go and enjoy um, windsurfing or hiking or something that um, that allows us to feel fully alive, which, of course, then contributes to higher levels of energy when we return to work. It's so true. And, and I guess, too, it would actually – by being able to go do something different, that would that's got to also just enhance my ability to see – what I am doing at work, right? It's going to bring yeah. in a different perspective, a different view. Yeah, there's this um, amazing research done by Michael Csikszentmihalyi. He's got a very complicated name. Yeah, he does, yeah. <laughs> um, but I love his concept, which is very simple. He looks at this idea of flow. It's when our, 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 um, our abilities match up beautifully with the activity we're doing, so it's not too hard or too easy. And it gets our mind off of the regular every day, allows us to forget time and just really be present with what we're doing. And so those kinds of activities that we can do on vacation will often follow along those lines. And what he finds is that when we experience flow, whether it's for 30 minutes or three hours, that can act like a recharge for us because our brain now is you know, it is, is feeling more singularly focused as opposed to how it oftentimes is in regular life, which is scattered amongst a bunch of activities. Mm. It's um, th- this whole movement of positive psychology seems to be changing how we see a lot of things. And uh, like with flow, I mean, there's he gets into the idea that you need to be challenged enough. Um, and and but so so stress can actually be good for you if it stretches you, but you also have to, it seems like what you're saying is also have the bandwidth to handle the stress. 
Yes, absolutely. So in our work, we've looked at the difference between processing stress as a challenge versus a threat. Um, when your brain processes a threat, I mean, we've all felt it, right? Yeah. You kind of go into that fight or flight mode. You feel overwhelmed, cloudy. You're really not feeling like you're at the top of your game. And this could be a stress from a deadline or a, a, you know, a nerve-wracking conversation you have to have. Meanwhile, if we view that stress as a challenge, it's not necessarily saying, hey, we're so excited to have this stress, but we feel like we are ready and have the resources to accomplish the task at hand or hit that deadline, um, then all of a sudden what happens is our brain gets turned on to its highest levels of potential. The chemical structure of our brain and body switch and we are, um, are, we're just in that top performance zone. And actually, very specifically, so we did a study with stressed out managers at UBS. This was a, a handful of years ago. And trained one to deal with stress, a very typical stress management training. We trained the other group, which is the experimental group, in how to process stress differently to see it actually as like exactly what you're saying as an advantage. And what we found is that four months later, those managers that had been in that experimental group and rethought their relationship with stress reported a 23% drop in stress-related symptoms like headaches, backaches, and fatigue. Hmm. So they they just just by reframing it, it actually reduced its impact on them. Yeah, a lot of it was about reconnecting with the meaning behind the stress. You know, if we hear, for instance, that a kid is failing math, of course we that doesn't sit well with any of us, right? We all right. want our children to succeed, but if it's our child failing math, that's a whole different story, right? Because yeah. there's a deeper meaning in that. And so when um, when we could get these business executives to reconnect with the meaning behind the stresses that they were experiencing at work. Why do you care about this project? Why do you care about keeping your job here to make the money to maybe put your kid through school, right? All of a sudden, they could understand where the stress was coming from and process it differently. That's pretty cool. That And, and I mean, that seems like a, a life skill that is creates resiliency, but also, yeah, and, and also lowers your... Um, I mean, if it could reduce the stress just simply by me reframing it, 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 all of a sudden I actually see it as an energy source, not an energy mm-hmm. suck. Yeah, absolutely. How cool is that? Is it um, – talk about recovery. Like what are some techniques that we can use to make sure that we can incorporate in our day or in our life, in our week? I guess one of them is the reframe. Uh, what else could we do to to make sure we're recovering from life? I think the number – I think the number one area that we, the the questions we all need to ask ourselves uh, all wrap around our relationship with technology. How do you, uh, basically, what what do you want your relationship to be with technology in terms of, do you want to use it and allow it and help it to help you make uh, you more efficient um, as you're, you know, moving throughout your day, or do you want it to run your life? Um, I think that notifications are constantly pulling our brains away from what we're doing. Um, Our brains are incredible processors, and we can do a lot at once. But really what we see in the research is that we are single-focused. We operate best when we're focusing on one thing. We're not good at multitasking, even though we like to think we are. Um, So I say shut off notifications except for the very important things that you need, and um, and that way you're not constantly bombarded. And the other thing is during the course of the workday, build in those recovery times. 
either put a, you know, every hour on the hour an alarm that reminds you to stand up from your desk or uh, know that at 1030 in the morning you get up, you go have a cup of coffee and a snack and you go for you know, a five-minute walk around the office and chat with people. Whatever you need, whatever feels authentic and right to your life, but be conscious and plan for it. And then as far as in the evenings and weekends when we should not be technically working, um, decide on what the, that looks like. What is the culture that you want to create in your household um, around work discussions and having phones on the table and having computers open? Uh, the more we're really clear about what we want and what will fuel us, the better chances we have of getting that brain break. And it's, I guess it really is, it's the, it's being conscious about it and saying, and being authentic, like what is it, what part of this is really important for me? Because so much of this is about illusion, it seems like. Um, mm-hmm. When I travel, uh, everybody thinks they can't get a hold of me, but the reality is they can. I just... I'm not answering. And so it's good for you. But it was but it, for me it's crazy cuz I love a good travel or not even a vacation. I love that too. But I love just a good trip to go do a speech somewhere because all of a sudden everybody picks up this illusion that I'm going to be out of office unreachable and but I I could instill that idea too that every day that the, during this time I'm unreachable. And because I need to go work on my book or I need to go do something else, we could make this be a part of our life anyway, right? Absolutely. Uh, so I love that. Um, uh, Google does something called eighty twenty, where eighty percent of the time you're supposed to be doing your regular job, the one you were hired for, the one they pay you for. But twenty percent of the time, they allow you to invest your time into other projects that are sort of passion projects. Um, why not apply this eighty twenty rule to our own lives? of the time we do what we have to do, but we give ourselves that 20% of the time, literally sometimes even just to sit there and stare out the window. Oh, yeah. The best creative ideas in the world have come when people are in the shower or walking their dog or, you know, because our brain is getting that time to calm down and not have to think about something that we have to do. We just, it can just wander and um, and that can act as absolutely a recharge period for us. Mm. It's um, in your article you talked also about uh, the fact that we're becoming more and more workaholics. Uh, you cited how Norway and Norwegian seven point eight percent of Norwegians have become workaholics. What is a workaholic? Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm always working, <laughs> but I'm not sure that I feel like I'm a workaholic. So what is a workaholic? And is this something that we're handing down to our kids, this idea that they constantly have to be working? Yeah, so I love this that I, thing that I heard, and I haven't confirmed it myself. And if anyone is German and knows this to be a fact, please let me know. But um, this was fantastic. Someone said to me, oh, yeah, Germans think that if you're working after 5 o'clock in the evening, it's not that you have more work to do and you should stay late or bring it home. It's that you're inefficient. (laughs) Yeah. I just thought that that was fantastic. Uh, I think that um, what's what's happening is because we can access our work at any hour, oftentimes we feel this pressure that we need to – but I don't think it necessarily fuels our success in the long run to be constantly plugged in. Uh, and, um, yeah, many of us are workaholics. If you're checking your email first thing in the morning, I mean, that could be one of the warning signs, right? I did it this morning. My son was had a stuffy nose last night, so he slept in bed with me. He's three and a half, and, uh, and he was still snoozing at 
you know, a little bit later after I woke up. So I sat there and I was answering emails. Um, now, if I'm just doing it one morning, fine. If I'm doing it every morning, if I'm feeling high levels of stress in that experience, if it's setting my day off on a bad note, well, then that behavior, workaholism or not, it's not serving me necessarily. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and and this whole habit of ha- checking our phones every five or ten minutes, there's some crazy statistic that says that we, if you have a, a lock on your phone, the average person unlocks their phone every, uh, 250 times a day. What? Yes. So if you unlock your phone and it takes an average of X number of seconds, I think the researcher calculated it is that we spend just unlocking our phone two and a half hours a day or something like that. Yeah, you may as well just not, I mean, forgo the lock. It's crazy. <laughs> and you may, you also ought to make it automatically turn on the minute you move it. Just because yeah. think of all the time you'd save accessing your phone. <laughs> what? Holy cow, Michelle, we are messed up. I mean, you, but you you brought up some apps too. What are some apps that we could be using that might help us, uh, you know, recharge and actually even just track better how we're using our technology? So there's some fantastic apps that allow you to track your your app usage. So they'll tell you what the um, the the apps that you're using the most and the ones that you're using the least. There was some research recently published that was fascinating. It said uh, it was showing us that we spend the most amount of time on the stuff that makes us the least productive, right? like Facebook and Twitter. Meanwhile, um, some apps that can make us more productive, uh, we're not spending much time on at all. So tracking your usage can be really good. And also any apps that sort of limit your usage. We, A friend of mine developed something called Ransomly, where this, uh, this small device that you put in your house will take your phone for ransom. Uh, basically, <laughs> it'll lock certain apps. So if you have kids and you don't want during dinner time the kids to have access to you know, Facebook and Twitter, you can take their, lock those apps. Um, and so, and I, I think that's really good because it reminds us, obviously, to uh, take that beat. It shows us those moments when we quickly grab our phone unconsciously um, and log on. Um, but, uh, but also you don't even need to use an app. Sean and I, my husband and I experimented with a zip top bag. We put our phones in one and we sealed it up and just having that simple physical barrier to using our phone Mm. was a great reminder that, Hey, we're probably grabbing our phone 250 times a day and we need to slow down. Yeah. That gets into that, whatever the 22nd rule that Sean has in his book. Is it 20 seconds? It's a brilliant idea. Yeah. It like, or it's it's like if you just kept your phone in your bedroom, you'd use it a lot less because it's you've crossed that barrier. It's too hard to go get it to then do something. Yeah, I, yeah it's so true. Um, so I went to the launch party for Thrive Global, which is Ariana Huffington's new company, and uh, it was so great because they were featuring uh, a bed for your phone. This phone bed comes complete with satin sheets oh, and nice. a, a recharging station. Oh, yeah, it's fancy. It's more of a lady's phone bed. Yeah. I guess you can get a, a You, you can get like a male, button. yeah, with like leopard <laughs> skin or whatever. Yeah, if, if you're into that. Uh, Isn't that funny? But put your, put your phone to bed. Yeah, you put your phone to bed. And she says, put your phone to bed in another room. Don't put it to bed in your bed. That's your bedroom, not your phone's bedroom. Um, so leave it in the kitchen or whatever. Now, listen, I know that a lot of people use their phones oftentimes for alarm clocks. So her other thing is get an old-fashioned alarm yeah. clock. We, I mean, remember those? 
We used to get those. Yeah. And you used to even have to wind them at night. I mean, there's there's things that you can do to – my kids, that's the big excuse. We need our phones because I, I won't wake up. And you're like, well, you don't wake up anyway. So it's – the reality is – I mean, there's 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 ways around this. But like you keep saying, you've got to be – you've got to be in charge and recharge, right? You've got to choose – you've got to make these choices. What would you say, Michelle, is the one thing, as we wrap it up, what, what's the one thing that makes the biggest difference, the one thing we can all do today in our lives that would actually make us be able to recharge uh, more quickly? Uh, you know, we've learned so much from the work we've done with companies about creating a positive culture at work. And um, I think that's something we can import to our home lives as well to exactly help with recharging. And what I mean by that is when we strengthen our home culture, whether we live alone or with our family, that says, I'm giving myself a break. I'm not a slave to technology. Uh, I give myself a chance to recharge by loving myself through these activities. Then all of a sudden, I I think the uh, power that the culture at work might have to want us to work all the time lessens. So I would encourage anyone who has the opportunity to sit down and have those conversations, figure out what your home culture looks like in terms of disconnecting and allowing yourself to recharge. That's great. And be in charge. of. I mean, again, we do spend so much money, so much time in a company working on culture. We just spend an entire day with our entire organization working on culture. Why wouldn't we do that with our family and make choices about technology, make choices about disconnection? From uh, from the internet, Michelle Geelan, thank you so much for your great uh, insight, your great work. The website is michellegeelan.com. and uh, what a great couple, what a power couple, uh, Sean Acor and Michelle Geelan make as they're trying to change the world and bring back happiness and positive change. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. coach would have put me in fourth quarter we'd have been state champions because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner Play ball. Play ball. welcome back friends holy cow uh we've got to learn to recharge and really what we might need to learn to do is turn stuff off we lack the discipline i truly believe to to maybe live in this tech culture um we you know everyone keeps spouting the idea that uh yeah you have the control not really not really we you've got to have the character the ability to actually go turn this stuff off and start leading your life to a completely different level um the 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 validation of this is coming out of Tokyo um listen to this a young journalist grueling work schedule including a single month working 159 hours of overtime and just two days off the entire month, apparently triggered heart failure that killed her at the age of 31, according to Japanese labor regulators. Authorities officially attributed Miwa Sato's death to karoshi, the Japanese word for a death due to overwork, according to information released this week. And, uh, and she, by the way, worked for a public broadcaster. So that's kind of scary um, if you're if you're a public broadcasting employee. Sato, a political reporter, had been covering elections for Tokyo's government and the national parliament in the months leading up to her death in 2013. She died three days after the election for Japan's upper house. 
The determination that Sato's death was caused by overworking has brought renewed scrutiny to the work culture in Japan, where hundreds, if not thousands of people are believed to be working themselves to death every year. One official with the public broadcaster told reporters her death was indicative of a problem of our organization as a whole, including the labor system and how elections are covered. The country classified 189 deaths from overwork in 2015. 93 suicides and 96 heart attacks, strokes, and other illnesses related to overwork. The woman, by the way, 31 years old. 31 years old. In addition to long hours, vacation days routinely go unused. On average, employees used less than half of their leave time in 2015, about nine days a year. Are you out there taking all of your leave time? Are you taking your vacation? Or are you saving it? Oh, I'm just saving it, Matt, for a rainy day. Like when I have my bypass surgery, I want to have a lot of vacation days to take. Well, maybe if we all would go take our vacation and actually make it a vacation, maybe what would happen is you wouldn't need the bypass. Hmm? Maybe. And I don't want to be a jerk about it, but there is a point where – we got to learn, folks, and we've got to learn how to live a life and how to have a life. Um, it's not going to just happen for you. And you may be noticing in your life that you keep thinking that someday, just someday down the road, you're going to finally be caught up on your bills, be happy again. You'll, I mean, once, once you do this next thing, you know, once you get the next promotion, you're finally going to be happy. And what we may be realizing is there's no such thing. Happiness isn't around the corner, right? Happiness uh, is is there now. In fact, the book The Happiness Advantage that our last guest uh, was basing some of her work on is telling us that happiness is not something that we eventually reach. It's something we've got to find now. And when you can find happiness today in your life, that is what actually produces the results. It's not that getting results makes you happy. It's being happy that helps you make results and get results in your life. So we've got to re we've got to re um, reevaluate and re kind of organize our priorities about these things. It, it's not going away, folks. And the game has changed quite a bit. And I don't. It's not even. I'm, you don't need to be anti technology. You do need to be pro living your life, taking your life back. Otherwise, you will just naturally go to whatever system is set up. And in Japan, the way they're working each other with this assumption about what good work is, 105 hours of overtime a month, it's too much. It's too much. And it's – I guaranteed, uh, according to the researchers, it's not actually producing better work on your part. You are not a better employee by giving 105 hours of overtime. You're just not. You're not producing better work. I'll, I would put you – head-to-head with anybody that is sitting there working an effective, uh, you know, 50 hours a week maybe, 40 hours a week, and um, I think I think they can – they'll outperform you. It, you can't burn the candle at both ends without it uh, eventually burning out. Uh, interesting stuff, folks. And again, it's your life. It's my life. It's our choices. Yeah, well, I'm trapped in this crazy thing we call life. You're not trapped. You're at the driver's seat here, right? You're the one in charge. There's power when you finally put yourself in the driver's seat instead of being a victim of every other system in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you get a leg up in life.
Yes, folks, it's time for a little empty news here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the news that uh, you didn't even know was news, but you need to know it because it's in the news. Who better to help us with that than our empty news anchor, Jeff Simpson? The empty news team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. (laughs) We take a bite out of crime. So, McGruff? Yeah. So, the reason I'm playing this song by the Beatles is because every one of our stories today involves somebody that really could use your help. Oh, really? Yeah, just... Excellent. It's it's so unfortunate because people make poor decisions, and sometimes it seems like maybe there's alcohol involved, and sometimes maybe they just can't exercise common sense. (laughs) So, uh, here's one that's interesting. There's a man that uh, was just trying to drop off his grandma at a mall. I mean, how hard is that? Yeah. Just dropping grandma off. So this is in Jacksonville. He's in jail now after calling 911 on himself following a series of hit-and-run crashes. <laughs> the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. Hold on. The he man... called it on himself. Yes. That's nice. So the man who was in his 20s was dropping his grandmother off at a fundraising event at a local mall when he hit five cars in the parking lot Ooh. while trying to, to leave. Police said. He said he was carjacked at one point. I'm not sure if he meant like somebody was trying to steal his car. Maybe a split personality thing. Okay. Then he said he actually fell asleep at another point. Yeah, he, yeah. And just accidentally hit the cars. Then he said he bumped into the cars. Uh, we confronted him with camera evidence that the mall has, and he said, no, I hit the cars. <laughs> oh, no, I, I nailed them. I nailed no, yeah, those that's, cars. That's, that's accurate. Uh, I got scared, and I took off. After the man hit six cars in the parking lot, he took off on foot, went up an embankment, and down onto a nearby expressway, ending wow. up near a Walmart. I bet Grandma was grateful to get dropped off. Yeah. Can you can you hit all those cars after you drop me off? Did she not notice that he was a little impaired? I don't know. It, well, he was apparently just really tired because he said he fell asleep. Yeah. Maybe he felt like he had an injury. His boots were covered in mud, and he had a lot of stickers in his pants from running. Maybe those were like the Walmart low-priced stickers <laughs> that he got. Discount. Um, investigators have not released the man's name but said family members told them he shouldn't have been behind the wheel. The yeah. man was charged with five counts of hit and run and driving without a license. Oh, boy. At One least he trip. called himself. He, no, he turned himself in. But then so apparently he ran, right? So Yeah. Yeah. He was all over the place. He he was in. He was out. He was Maybe up, he was. Down. Is there something kind of like a, an under-the-influence triathlon where you start <laughs> off in the car, yeah. then you take off on foot, and then you end up in jail? Yeah, but you, and you, have to start right the, you have to start the race by calling in. Yes. Once you start the clock, then the yeah, police... Yeah, because that's, yeah, that's how you start the clock idea. officially. Yeah. So um, here's another guy that had a little run-in with the police, and uh, the police say they've never heard this excuse before. So the Iowa State Patrol says a man pulled over in Des Moines after a car pursuit told state troopers that he wanted to be chased <laughs> because it was on his bucket list. I've always wanted to be in a high-speed chase with the police. Really? That's crazy. The man refused to halt a little before 7.30 a.m. Thursday when a trooper tried to stop him over a violation on Interstate 80. The 10 to 15-minute chase ended soon after he left the interstate. He was taken into custody. That's when the 46-year-old Des Moines resident shared his bucket list story with troopers. And as I said, they told the Associated Press they've never heard such an excuse. (laughs) You Mm. know, it's like they don't. I don't know. Do they not know what they're actually getting into? It's a police pursuit. Yeah. It's not something you want on your bucket list. 
But I guess that's something that could easily be said after the fact. Like once you, maybe you think you're going to get away with it and then when you get caught, you say, uh. I wanted that on my bucket list. Yeah. Bucket list. Oh, okay. Well, we won't arrest you then. Just on your bucket list. Our bad. As long as you're happy. (laughs) Was this a good race for you? Because it was great for us. Crazy stuff. Anyway, there you go, folks. Again, if if you uh, were wondering what it's like to be a human in in other bodies, there's two examples for you. How would you help them? Can we send them your way? Give them your number? No, let's just send them somewhere else. (laughs) It seems like too much work. They just don't get it. Ah, the joys, folks. The joys of being human, and uh, we're all we're all in the race together. Hey, up next, uh, more fun right here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at one eight five five Chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with uh, Terry and the gang. And who else is here? Jeff. Nobody important, apparently. <laughs> is Kiko here? The gang's all here. Hey, he, we got a big day. Corkers come uncorked and uh, Flake is is going away. And everybody now is talking. Not everybody, but these people are now talking about the president in an honest tone that we haven't heard from many senators. Wait, who came uncorked? Corker. There he is. He, he, they're done. They're done pretending like this is acceptable behavior. Have you seen the, the interviews president. with Corker, though? He's not uncorked. No, no, no. He's, he's very, very measured. It's he's very, very measured. And, like, would you ever vote for him again? No way. No. No way. Is he a liar? We don't use the L word in our family, he says. <laughs> But uh, he has a very he has a very difficult time with the truth. We got a r- bunch of real dummies. It really it's 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 a level of talking about the president we've never heard. And Flake now uh, the senator that uh, President Trump was saying he wouldn't support has now said he's not going to run, and he's got to talk openly about and and share what his conscience is telling him. But he's still going to support a couple of the initiatives. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, he's been voting for him 91 percent of the yeah, time. He's very much been aligned with President Trump, except Trump didn't like him because he spoke out in a meeting against him, a yeah. private meeting with the senators <laughs> last time. Yeah. And well, he called him out. Initially, Trump goes, well, when I primary you and he goes, I'm not up for reelection. And then Trump went, just kind of looked at him. And I'm like, well, at some point you are going to be. So he's going to get you there. Uh, but in a way, it's incredible, right? Because this is now, what, five senators now? Four. Collins speaks out. Corker, Flake, McCain. Mm-hmm. Is it the beginning of more? No. Maybe. I think people still want to keep their jobs. Yeah, but see, that now all of a sudden there's going to be this division because what a lot of what they're saying is – this isn't how you treat people. You don't bully people. This isn't this isn't America. This isn't how we do it. And uh, now everybody's going to go be asked. Every senator is going to be asked. Yeah. Do you agree that Mr. Trump is? And they're going to have to go on the record after taxes. Yeah, Once after. taxes is passed, then everyone's going to come off the rails. <laughs> they have to so. get their policy through. Then they're good. Oh yeah, they got to get the policy through. They're going to be in big trouble because they have to get taxes, or the whole thing falls apart. Wow. They lost health. They're going to try to get health back mm-hmm. because they've been working on some other. Ideas like the Republicans I read yesterday have their own plan. This is the bipartisan idea to try to shore up the Obamacare exchanges? Yeah, and now Republicans have come up with their own idea 
that has nothing to do with the bipartisan bill, which Boy. I don't know what that is. I was trying to look it up. There's a little, not a lot of detail. Plus, oh, wow. We got a lot to talk about. Jeff's had a great night last night. Mm. I did. You know, I only got to watch about seven innings of it, and then I had a meeting, and I was surprised to find out when I came out of the meeting, the game was already over. And so I yeah, want to say something. Great. The Dodgers winning. My wife can no longer say that baseball is too long. Because Why? one game wasn't too long. It was the shortest game, really? the shortest World Series game in 25 years. Really? Two hours and 28 minutes. For one game, that it was is short. Fa- that's just good pitching. Isn't it, it was, it was great that mean pitching. Good pitching. The only runs that were scored were from home runs. There were three home runs. That was it. Yeah, the home runs are fast. Yeah. Wrap it. Get it up. Get around. And the, I get believe around. there were eight double plays, which also plays a big part in that. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't watch it. I watched seven at the seventh inning. I started watching. Ooh, the, all sad. the runs had already been I scored want at Houston that point. To win. People say this could go six, but it didn't look like this is going to go six games. It was three to one. Still pretty close. Yeah. Kershaw, the Dodgers' starting pitcher, struck out uh, the second highest number of people in a. In a playoffs game, I believe. But he was pitching so well, they could have just left him in. Mm. But then the the point is, do you? Do you usually leave him in? in the playoffs? You usually go no more than seven innings. Know, and then you put in your bullpen, especially if you have the Dodgers bullpen. I know that's that's why I don't know if this is going to go six games. You think it'll be done in four or five? Well, I don't want it to be. I want it to go seven games with the Astros winning in the seventh. <laughs> You're a monster. Thank you. Terry's bored with baseball. Terry wants <laughs> well, us to talk about Corker. It'll, it'll be like three and a half hours, game two. So, And what about Mount McKinley? What about it? Gone. Denali was in. Oh, and yeah. now Trump's saying he's going to go back and rename it McKinley. Really? Mm. By the way, guess for who? Ohio. A guy from Ohio that never went and saw that mountain. Never saw the mountain. Probably never went to Alaska. And yet, the Alaskans want it named Denali. Yeah. So who has the Maybe right to in name Denial. The- all change is bad, man. Denali denial. It seems like the state that owns the mountain, that lives in the mountain, that loves the mountain, that takes care of the mountain. It's, it's a federal property. so That's a good point. I- irrelevant. Is it's it? a federal property but in there, Alaska. There is the question that it's named after a guy from Ohio. Yeah. Who never actually went to Alaska to see the and thing he was named the after. The natives named it Denali. This should be, should this not go to the deference, go to the to, to the people that were climbing the mountain first. They're, they're misinformed as to what they really want, <laughs> and so the president yeah. will help them with that. <sighs> At least t- I, not, I don't know if I'm stealing all your news. It, no, it's also another thing with the name Obama underneath it. So I know, but it doesn't mean everything was off. wrong, right? At least no, it's not but... Mount Drumpf. By the way, no, but if this, if this is the model we use, then why wouldn't we call it Drumpf? No, what was his family's name? Trump. It was Drumpf. Was that did it start with yeah. a D? I thought it was an S. No, it was a no. Trump. It was Trump, and then they changed it. <laughs> oh, that is a great story. And uh, apparently, the parks are going to start charging seventy dollars. Okay, we'll let Terry tell per us that car story. Ride. We'll get to that one. We're later. We're taking all but, the stories. But um, seventy dollars to get into a national park? What yeah. is this Disneyland? Yeah, my wife was like, Buh. "I don't know. Do we go to a national park if it's that expensive? Is it one know. day? So yeah, that's seventy dollars a, one day, a pass. day. It's a one day pass. What? Wow. I thought thirty dollars was a little high when I went to Bryce Canyon, yeah, but that's for now. like a whole week. Yeah, that seems like a lot. So I have to see because it said like seasonal rates, but 
but I wasn't sure if it was like because sometimes you buy a pass and you can it's like a three day yeah. or whatever the length is. It didn't say; it just says raising it to seventy dollars. You, I thought we could buy a pass for like seventy dollars. That was the whole year to get into the parks in Utah. Yeah, mm. that, I don't believe no. it's a year pass. No. They're they're trying to do an infrastructure. Maybe rebuild. if you're a senior citizen, because maybe we were riding on the coattails of well, a senior. It, it costs a lot of money to change the name. You know, there's all the paperwork <laughs> yeah, and the right. filing. Uh-huh. And... All the brochures that yeah. have to be changed. Yeah. Plus, Shrumpf is, or Drumpf is so hard to spell. <laughs> uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on, Terry? So as you talked about Senator Flake, Arizona after, Tuesday afternoon gave his impassioned speech from the Senate floor, announces his retirement. Here's some of what he said. He said, we must never regard as normal the regular and casual undermining of our democratic norms and ideals. He goes, we must never meekly accept the daily sundering of our country, the personal attacks, threats against principles, freedoms, and institutions, the flagrant disregard for truth or decency, the Mm. reckless provocations, most often for the pettiest and most personal Mm. reasons, Mm. having nothing to do whatsoever with the fortunes of the people that we have all been elected to serve. Wow. So nothing that's happening is helping what and we're here for. And don't normalize this. Don't pretend like this is normal. He spoke for 20 minutes without ever mentioning Trump's name. Flake pondered Washington's future and what his Senate colleagues could tell their grandchildren about the time they served during the Trump administration. At times, openly questioning whether Congress could be proud of its complicity in the coarsening of U.S. politics. Whoa. He cautioned against the notion that there would ever be a pivot to normalcy from the White House. A, the White House responded calling the speech petty and not befitting of the Senate floor. I'm sensing oh. a pattern here. There yeah. have been several speeches where people refuse to address President Trump as President Trump. Yeah. It's almost like he's he uh, who shall not be named. Well, they have another name for him now, which is <laughs> um, I think it was Corker said he wishes that the daycare team would. Yeah. Take over. It was something about the day, the daycare didn't again. Yeah, daycare. Going back to daycare saying they got were away absent. from daycare or yeah. something. Just going crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, 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 by the way, so now Trump's turning it, saying this is unbefitting a statement from the Senate floor. Right. As te- as, as yeah, he was talking about the executive branch. Yeah. I don't mm. know. The Trump administration resumed the U.S. refugee program Tuesday after a 120-day ban, but there will be uh, severe new restrictions on emissions going forward. After the four-month review, the administration enhanced vetting for all refugee applicants and determined that an additional 90-day review was needed for 11 countries. Extreme vetting. Exactly. (laughs) However, individuals from those 11 will be considered for resettlement in the U.S. on a case-by-case basis, but only if they are determined to be in the U.S. national interest and don't don't pose a security threat, hmm. according to the Department of Homeland Security. Applicants from other countries do not need to prove that they are in a natu- national interest to the U.S. Okay. not sure what national interest means. I think it's if you have a skill that they want to utilize. Yeah, if we want to use you, then you are in our best interest. So you have a very specific set of skills. The whole send us, you're tired, you're... You know, You're, the Statue of yeah, Liberty. But the, that, that hungry, we, we learned before that doesn't apply to Huddled masses longing yeah. to be free. Yeah, that has nothing to do with the program. None of that matters. And, and these are refugees leaving from war-torn areas. Yeah, with nothing yeah. for their lives. Again, we're good. But, but the question really is, what can you give us? Yeah. <laughs> it seems so wrong. Uh, this was interesting. Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and the Democratic National Committee reportedly funded research that led to the dossier on allegations connecting President Trump to Russia. 
Oops. According to the Washington Post, both entities funded the effort through October 2016. Fusion GPS conducted the research on behalf of the campaign and its counsel. Uh, Mark uh, Elias, I think his name is. Christopher Steele, a former British intelligence officer, authored the dossier. Mm-hmm. On Saturday, Trump tweeted that the Justice Department should immediately release who paid for it. Well, and... Because this is the one this, saying that he is greatly compromised the, the, in business and yeah. things like that that the Russian government has this, this on him. This was a big tip-off. And part of the dossier, no one can talk about. Right. It is the part no one mentions. Right. And then there's the other part that was really probably more about Manafort and his ties, which really led to the Mueller investigation. And now Mueller wanted to see the dossier. Right. So they've been investigating they've the They've been looking dossier. at it. But then this whole thing was funded by the DNC that's and they, Hillary Clinton. That's what they found. What? <laughs> Politics, man. Well, how it all comes back around. And finally, a whopping 42% of children ages 0 to 8 have their own tablet device. 42%? 42%. That's wow. up from less than 1% in 2011. Now, I thought tablets were falling off and everyone was just going to a phone. Well, adults, but like kids, what are they going to use? Remember? Phones. Remember when we were watching Moneyball the other day and Brad Pitt's character is just shocked and appalled that his 12-year-old daughter was using a cell phone? Yeah, that was crazy. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, now every kid has one. So what they're saying is uh, this is from Common Sense Media. They they did a survey and they found that families with young children now are more likely to have subscription video services like Netflix or Hulu. That's 72%. Then they are to have cable TV, which is 65%. It's the first time that's actually... Ooh, it's switched. It's switched. 10% of kids, 8 or under, own a smart toy that connects to the internet. 9% have a voice-activated virtual assistant device available to them in the home, either a, 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 what the Google Alexa. Uh, Echo or the uh, Google Home, so yeah. Amazon Echo, Google Home. Uh, Sarah DeWitt, Vice President of PBS Digital, or Kids Digital, who argues that screen time isn't necessarily a bad thing, but DeWitt said a few things got lost in the message. It's not like blanket all screen time is great, she said in a recent interview. There are two things to keep in mind, she says. One is that the right amount of screen time really depends on the kid, and the other is that not all screen time is created equal. The key, she says, is for parents to be proactive. Yeah. Because you could be doing something educational or you could just be in a coma staring at a cartoon. Well, They're both screen time, but they're but, not equal. But I guess they're, they're seeing screens more because they can take the screen with us. Back in the day, we had to leave our screens because they were so heavy. Yes. We would always take those TV VCR combos uh, and just stick it right in between the yeah. seats in the, in the front of the car. Yeah, we did that. But see, my day... You couldn't do that because the t- they didn't have a TV VCR combo, and mm. each weighed about a thousand pounds. I feel sorry for you. you. Had two thousand pounds in AV. The, the blinking VCR light uh-huh. was annoying. Yeah. yeah, my my parents were the sit in the back of the car, read a book. Oh yeah, and if you can't do that, then go to sleep. What well, happens when you get a headache twenty minutes into the book? That, that was my problem. I always get sick, so it was like that's fine, a you big just deal though. I mean, pass out these kids so. Now they can watch anything they want and play all these incredibly educational games and go on Google and Wikipedia and learn anything they want to learn. Like my, my kids watch a ton of YouTube videos about space. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great science videos on YouTube. My kid watches a bunch of YouTube videos about people playing with toys. Oh, really? That's where we kind of drop the Oh, like line. where they unveil a new toy? Yeah, they're like, look, we're going to unbox this toy. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And he'll stop it, run and get me so I can watch them open a box. I'm like, huh. And then they play with them. Yeah. And he's like, Dad, uh, they told me it's at the store and it only costs this much. Like, Father. 
So it's just an ad, obviously. So, <laughs> you know, we curtail some things. My, yeah. my wife last night was like, could we just give him the passcode? I'm tired of punching in the passcode on the iPad. And I'm like, no, that's the only control we have. That's a great. If not, he comes running in at any moment. He can just get on there and well, do what he wants. No, you do have your pool noodle. We have the pool noodle, so we can... Uh, <laughs> you can always can... hit him on the head or whatever uh, uh, you do. Blow on his face. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, we try to control it that way. We've had some issues with that. Uh-oh. Little emotional reactions when someone cannot have the tablet. Now, how many? So I just how take much it away. time do you give him a day? He is. Um, he probably gets about thirty minutes. Oh, that's nothing. So, but I mean, it, I, mean I had that for breakfast. There's such <laughs> there's such an emotional response. Like he just cries and starts everything yeah. just no. collapses in the house because he can't have the iPad. No, that's yeah. I put it away for a day till he resets himself. You wow. can tell he's addicted. Yeah, it's bad. The first thirty minutes free, five dollars for every minute after that. And then wait the, till they're older, though. It's the like, trick it's is, really hard to get their stuff off. We have some educational apps through a school that yeah. he'll get on. He goes, "Dad, I'm I'm doing homework, right? Okay, so he does that for a few minutes. So I go, okay, you do that. Come talk to me when you're done. And then I come up, and he hasn't been down to talk to me, and he's watching Netflix. He's watching X Men. Yeah, I'm like, dude, you Whoa. can't just. do well, no, he's watching Smurfs. That's what he's watching now. Oh, that's oh, worse. That's totally worse. Yeah. I mean, never trust a little blue person. That's what Grandma used to say. He's got all these questions, though. He can't get grab the concept that Gargamel, the evil guy on the on the Smurfs, yeah. wants to eat the Smurfs. Yeah, he, he wants to make Smurf stew. That's the whole point. He's a, he's a Smurfivore, and he's like, Dad, why would he want to do that? And I go, They have magical properties, and he goes. Really? I, go, I don't know. It's just well, watch your show. It makes sense because if you ask your kids what's your favorite flav- flavor, sometimes they'll say blue. Yeah, I like blue. Yeah. It's the hats. You, I mean, don't you think a Smurf looks like they taste good, though? It's a good color blue. I've never considered eating them. Do you think their hats are like marshmallows? Mm-hmm. If that was the case, yeah, I think that would really seal yeah. the deal for me. I'm not a marshmallow guy. And then with a little Smurf nougat inside? <laughs> Having said I'm not a marshmallow guy, my uh, my five-month-old is going to be the Stay, Puff, Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man oh, from Ghostbusters. Stoss is going to be a marshmallow? Mm-hmm. Cute. Are you just going to eat him throughout the night? Apparently, he was super cute uh, when my wife tried on the costume the other night, but he wasn't too pleased because it was difficult to get him out. Yeah. Once you can't get him out of the costume, then it's kind of a bigger deal. Then you have to eat your way through. <laughs> That's right. Or you just just slowly dip him in some hot chocolate. <laughs> Let him melt. That's cute. Good stuff. I hope you're getting ready for uh, Halloween. It's coming up. Um, and remember, as adults, you, call, you also can be dressing up. Up next, we're going to be talking about adulting for beginners. Adulthood, a book written by a professor, a university professor, about the, the things, the life secrets nobody bothered to tell you about. The things you need to know to be an adult straight ahead. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Hey, you know, growing up is hard to do, but adulting may be even harder. Many people graduate high school and college and realize they don't have the basic skills for life or that they have no idea what to do with their lives. Today, we have the author of Adulthood for Beginners, All the Life Secrets Nobody Bothered to Tell You. Uh, it's, he's a professor, Andy Boyle, and a professor of digital storytelling at Columbia College in Chicago. He has a great website if you go check it out, andyboyle.com. Andy, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Now, what made you want to write a book on adulthood? 
I think it kind of came about the fact that when I graduated college and went out into the real world, I really didn't know anything. And there weren't <laughs> that many good resources to help me out either. And when by the time I'd kind of gotten my, my early 30s, I kind of realized, you know, I learned a lot, and I bet some of this might be helpful to others. That is, honestly, we need that. I had a guy in my office. I do a lot of kind of life coaching, and it's a person that has a master's degree in a field and doesn't want to do that degree, doesn't want to work in that field, and now has no idea what he wants to do, but he's an adult with two kids. Exactly. And it's just like, what do you do now? Yeah. He's, he Literally, he does not know what to do next. Um, in the advice, you, you use a lot of humorous examples to very practical, a mix of, and a great mix of both. Um, in fact, you introduce a new idea, WWTHD. Um, what does WWTHD mean? That stands for What Would Tom Hanks Do? <laughs> and I, uh, it's a really good, I think it's a pretty good precept uh, that I, I heard from an old writing teacher that I had. And the basic idea is if you're ever in a situation and you do not know how to respond, first think, well, what would Tom Hanks do in this situation? <laughs> Odds are he would be nice. He would be uh, very, uh, he would give credit to everyone else. He would be incredibly humble. And usually that's the right route to go. There you go. I mean, that really, and I guess if you're not into Tom Hanks or you don't know enough about his work, you could just find the next really nice professional. Exactly. That's great. What uh, What's the deal with Nickelback? Because I'm <laughs> of the era that I don't understand why everybody's so against Nickelback. Exactly. And so I, I have a... I have a lot of stuff in the book about how one of the ways I think that we can start to grow and become better people is learning to relate to those that are different than us. And I think one big group of people that get made fun of a lot or bullied, maybe is a better term, are Nickelback fans. And they're just like any other human being. They just happen to like a band that makes music that for some reason people have decided is uncool. Mm. And so what I wrote was, uh, I think that Nickelback fans are awesome because not only are they people that regularly get made fun of just because of some art that they like, but they continue to like it and it brings them great joy. And I think we'd all be better people if we could kind of follow their example and just be happy about the things that we love. That's great. So you, how did you get, or how did you decide what needed to go into the book? Was this just stuff you'd been teaching and telling stories about and part of your comedy act? I mean, how did you know what needed to be in the book? So some of it was uh, stuff that I've been talking about for years, and some of it was I uh, since I give like talks and stuff at colleges a lot, I kind of would get asked the same handful of questions by students, and I was just like, well, you know what? Maybe I just I'll just sit down and write down answers to a bunch of these things. And then also I just talked with a lot of my friends and, and was like, what did you not know when you were 22 or 23 that you know now? And then people would say stuff, and I'd realize, oh, yeah, I figured that out, too, but no one told you. And so I, my, my kind of uh, thinking was I wanted to kind of allow people to kind of have, like, a jump start and not have to go through maybe all the, the trials and tribulations that I had to throughout my 20s to learn some of this valuable advice. Hmm. It's great. Um, you One of your bits of advice, I mean, it seems to make a lot of sense at my age, at 47, whenever you have the opportunity, use the bathroom. <laughs> It's not like that's a great idea. Oh, yeah. And I, and I think it's a, again, as somebody who, as you get older, and I think especially if you work in office jobs, a lot of your life revolves around meetings. And you start to realize, wow, this meeting is going to be terrible if I have to use the restroom five minutes into it. And also just, just throughout your life, if you ever think, hmm, I wonder if I should use the restroom, the answer is yes, go. Yes. <laughs> 
Because five seconds later, after that opportunity's gone, you're going to have to. Well, and you shouldn't be, like, surprised that you need to, right? Like, exactly. I mean, you're a grown-up. You know when you consumed yeah. beverages and fluids, so let's just plan accordingly. Um, exactly. you, 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 I guess there was a big pivot point in your life about drinking when you mm-hmm. decided it's time to stop drinking. Maybe talk to us about that. Yeah, so it was back near the end of uh, uh, 2013. I was just going to take, you know, the, the January of 2014 off. And, you know, I'm like a Midwestern guy, went to a state school. Drinking is just kind of, that's what you did. That's your normal socializing thing. And I just decided to take a month off. And in that month, I lost a ton of weight. I slept better. I think I was a happier, hmm. nicer person. And I was getting a lot of, like, these extra projects I wanted to get done. Like, I'd always called myself a writer, but I was never writing. And then I kind of took a month off from drinking, and boy, was I getting a lot of writing done. <laughs> yeah. And it just, I just kind of, I just kept doing it. Next thing I knew, it had been six months, a year, uh, two years, and now this December, it'll be coming up on four years. Isn't that amazing? But it's almost something you you didn't necessarily consciously start doing. You just kind of fell into it. And then that we probably have a lot of habits like that, that we, mm-hmm. if we would just notice, we could stop a lot of things that might seriously be more positive for life. Yeah, I actually talk about that in the book and that I, I like to view a lot of this stuff that we do as like, it's like these little science experiments that we're doing. And for me, I didn't realize that I was doing a science experiment of what is my life going to be like if I stopped drinking? And then I kind of like, you know, you can kind of weigh the pros and cons and you're like, well, you know, it seems like things for me personally are a lot better yeah. uh, if, if, I, if I don't. Uh, and the same thing with uh, when I started working out or running, I'm like, wow, things are a little bit better <laughs> when I've made these science uh, experiments. It's so. amazing. But but again, because I think some people like, you know, we're Mormons, so we don't drink anyway. So we never Mm -hmm. we never learned that lesson, but we could learn the same lesson about exercising or it's Mm -hmm. just and some people are just naturally good at exercising. So they almost don't ever learn the lesson. Um, But I guess it could be anything in life that and maybe we just need to try more things. Oh, yeah. And And I think sometimes it's like if you think that something is is not working the way that you like, or if you're like, you know, I just wish I could make a change. It's like, well, try making smaller changes that get you toward whatever that goal is. And again, that goal could be, I want to get better uh, at my, I want to be like a better member of my choir group. I want to uh, do more public service. It's like you can make some of these different, uh, you can make some of these different steps and then you just do one or two things toward that. And if it makes you feel good, and if you like the how it goes, keep doing it. I, I always tell people, it's like you don't necessarily have to always jump in, you know, all the way toward doing some of these big lifestyle or life changes. Just try one or two things, and if you like it, keep going. And it sounds like you tie this also to being creative, right? So healthy yeah. life is also about creativity. Maybe explain that. Yeah, I always think that um, – one of the best ways of, of being able to, I think it's, it's not just stress relief, but also just kind of like a, a, it just reminds you that I'm alive and I exist and I matter is by creating stuff. And by creating things, I mean, that could be writing, that could be woodwork, that could be, again, joining a choir, being in a band, that could be anything. That could be all, all of these different sort of things. It's creating something that exists outside of yourself uh, I think is a really wonderful thing. And I also think that by doing that sort of stuff, those uh, those creative and artistic things, it helps you in all of these other areas of your life, whether it be work or your uh, or your relationships with friends and family. It really helps. 
That's great. Uh, I'm sure if you're talking about adulting, at some point you've got to talk about relationships. What, uh, what, what, ad- what relationship advice do you give? I think one of the biggest things I always like to say is uh, when you want to ask someone out, first make sure that it seems as if they're giving you some sort of sign that they would <laughs> like to ask you out. Uh, and, and when you do ask somebody out, you should make it like uh, very clear that what you are doing is asking them out. And I think that my generation has a problem with this where we do a lot of, hey, you want to hang out or let's get to, you know, they don't use the language that says what your intentions are. And I think sometimes it makes people feel a little wishy-washy. And so I, instead, I would suggest say, hi, I think you're really great. We should, I would love to go out with a date, uh, on a date with you sometime. How about Tuesday? We can go bowling. So something like that. So not only are you saying your intentions, but you're giving a date and then also what you want to do, uh, because that way they can go, you know what, I'm not, in, I'm not into you. Or they can say Tuesday doesn't work. How about Thursday? Or I hate bowling. Let's go fly kites. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, it seems like that would be natural that you'd kind of want to get a sign before you go asking someone out. But I mean, a lot of people just don't know how to play that, how to read that right. Um, a big point I know that you make, um, because adulting is also the ability to go be independent of your parents, to go be able mm-hmm. to make enough money, live on your own. But you you, you actually bring up two points. Um, one is that you really need to like set some goals and, and, and achieve goals, but you also don't have to plan everything for your career. Exactly. I always like to say that a career is what happens while you're trying to pay your rent. <laughs> and one of the big problems is we see these people with these great careers, or maybe they write a book about how awesome their career was, and they have the luck of being able to look back 20, 30 years, and everything looks as if it was like a perfect decision, whereas most of us, we just kind of fall into everything. Like, I didn't plan on writing a book. <laughs> yeah. Like, it just it just happens. And I think for, for a lot of folks, they need to understand that, uh, you know, your career is just kind of like, that's just what happens while you're trying to make some money. Uh, and that you can try to set these big goals, but I don't think a lot of people, you know, at the age of 12 are setting a goal of, I want to run Bank of America. <laughs> That's usually not how that works. It better not. That's a weird dude. <laughs> That's a weird kid that wants to do that. But so goal, I mean, goal setting is important. It, it's something you want to do. But And you also bring up the fact that you, you're not competing against the world. You're just, you're competing against yourself. I always, I always like to tell folks that what you're trying to do is you're trying to become a better version of yourself uh, compared to three months ago, six months ago, a year ago. Because if you're trying to compare yourself to other people, what I think we often forget is those folks have led a completely different life than you. They have completely different goals, and they might have had different kinds of help than you. So that means that it's not fair for you to compare yourself to others. But you can compare yourself to yourself. So when you set goals, you try to make them – kind of small and incremental. You don't say, I want to lose 50 pounds. Instead, you say, I want to lose five pounds because it's a much more achievable goal. That's something that most people could do in like two months. And then after that, you say, well, I want to lose five more pounds. And so that way, when you make your goals smaller, they're much easier to achieve and they don't look as if they're these incredible monumental undertakings. Mm. What what don't we get, Andy, about this younger generation? I mean, we always hear about millennials and oh, the the being a millennial is the worst thing in the world. Um, but what what really what are we missing as those that are adults with the group of people that you're trying to inspire? I think one of the big things that 
folks don't often understand is how prevalent social media is and how it has impacted uh, our brains a lot more than I think older generations. If you, if you think about when something bad happened in the world, you had to watch TV at a certain time or pick up a newspaper or maybe a magazine and you might find out about it. Whereas now, anything terrible that happens can be put onto social media and be amplified immediately. So while the world may not necessarily be getting worse, it might seem like that. And I think that has led to a lot of extra uh, fear and anxiety in a lot of younger people that didn't really exist in uh, previous generations. And then if you couple that with the fact that studies also show this, that uh, our attention spans are much shorter. Uh, and then we also have, um, we, we're like the first generation who m- might not make as much money as our parents. And we have a lot of debt. And I think that leads to a lot of folks that are very scared. Mm. And what they, what they really, really lack, and, I, and I've given talks on this previously, is they lack leadership and mentorship from older generations, especially in these job settings. And that's one of the big things I think that older generations can especially help us with is figuring out like some of that career stuff. Because, again, we aren't learning it unless someone helps us. You know, it's true. And, and you also have seemingly more choices and we've told you forever that you can be anything um i mean back in the day i didn't even know i was going to go to college and then oh hey i got to college i can do this but i didn't seem to have the world at my fingertips i just had you know maybe a few jobs i could choose from um so that's got to be confusing as well but and so parents we we probably need to help our kids understand and, and somehow build a bridge between their reality to the real world Yeah, and I think especially when I was younger, it's like there were 10 jobs you knew. It was like astronaut, farmer, teacher, (laughs) police officer. Police officer, fireman, nurse. Exactly. Yeah, you just knew of these handful of jobs. But then as you get older, you start to learn that, you know, there's like uh, there's so many more jobs out there that might be incredibly fulfilling and interesting and that you can go to college and you can still get, you know, like a nice liberal arts education that teaches you about the world and all these other sort of things, but can still help to prepare you towards some of these jobs that <clears throat> do pay well and do exist <laughs> yeah. uh, and, 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 uh, and, and help. So you can not only be fulfilled intellectually uh, by what you study in college, but you can also kind of be prepared for what to do after, uh, because I know there are a lot of companies out there that are still having a hard time finding qualified people. And I think part of that is because people don't know that those jobs exist. It's so true. And you, you, um, one of your points I know is uh, make sure you call your parents more. And part exactly. of that, I mean, and part of that's vi- reverse. Parents probably need to call their kids more. We need, we need to keep those relationships alive. Yep. Oh, 100%. And I, and I don't think that texting is a good substitute. I think it's, it's great. It's a wonderful way to stay in contact. But I do think talking on the phone, seeing each other face to face, that is all really helpful because, again, uh, as, I, as I have learned many times, my parents have been in many of the same situations that <laughs> I have been in and will be in, and they usually have pretty good advice, yeah. uh, which, again, took me 10 years to figure out, but, uh, or excuse me, 30 years to figure out. Um, but uh, but they, they sometimes know what they're talking about, and a lot of us are fortunate enough to have parents that are pretty smart and also world-traveled and can help us in a lot of areas. That's great. What As we wrap it up, Andy, what would you say is the one thing, if there's one thing every uh, a person that's in the adulting stage needs to know, what is it? Be nice. And that seems like such a simple, oh, simple great thing. But I think it, it really boils down to 
what you should do is I, I don't I think the golden rule is a pretty good idea, which is, you know, treat each other uh, like you'd like to be treated. But I instead think it should be the platinum rule. Treat each other better than you want to be treated. Because I think what happens then is other people start to see that it pushes, it makes you, again, people treat you better when you treat them nicer. And I think, again, it's just going to make the world a better place. So I think if you can do that, employers will notice that you're that nice, helpful person, your friends, family, members of your church. Uh, it's just very helpful. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Andy Boyle is his name. The book is Adulthood for Beginners, All of the Life Secrets Nobody Bothered to Tell You. And you can find out more by going to his website, andyboyle.com. Just great, uh, great insight, great spirit about life. Um, And and have more hope in these young adults that are uh, coming to fruition. Life is good, folks. Life is good, and relationships are what matter in the end. We will continue the journey up next, a little Coach's Corner. Uh, This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back. You know, um, really, we just, I think, expect our kids to be able to just move into adulthood, right? Like, we, hey, you know, we got you... We got you through high school, and now we're going to send you off to college, and then you're just going to get it. But there's probably so much more to becoming an adult um, than just maturing and just growing older, right? At some point, you know they're not very well prepared. If you've ever dropped your kid off for college, you probably realize, oh, boy, I don't know if I ever taught him to iron. It's one of the benefits of – like in the LDS church, we send our missionaries out, and uh, boy, if our kids don't know how to make a meal, to work, to exercise, I mean, it's you may be creating you may be creating a monster if if you're not setting your kids up to succeed one way or another. But as Andy got into this idea of uh, just being nice, wouldn't that be one of the most important lessons we could give anybody today, especially to our children? Is the idea of feeling. Um, some compassion for the people that are around us, feeling a sense of compassion for the people in this world. I find it interesting that um, we're so quick to dismiss people today. We're so quick to just eliminate uh, an entire group of people because of where they were born or how they are born. Um, And it, it just seems like why on earth do we need to draw such a small circle? Why can't we keep the circles bigger and and why can't we allow, you know, people to just make mistakes in life? It, being mad about someone else's mistake doesn't in any way shape or form actually eliminate their mistake. It just makes it more difficult for people to move on and as we see it in our political world, uh Regardless, we can't be bullies. Even if you have the bully pulpit, even if you have the most important position in the world, you 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 still have to use it with some honor, with some respect, don't you? Because if not, what are we becoming? And so I don't know. I, I look at it and I think, what's going on with us that we that we don't get this? Uh, the Dalai Lama has a great quote. He says, "People were created to be loved." Things were created to be used. The reason why the world is in chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. What do you think of that? 
Do you think we're spending way too much time loving things, our phones, our apps, our ideas, our positions, our party affiliations, and instead we're just using the people in our life? You know, we like the people in our life as long as they meet our needs. We like the people in our life as long as they get us what we want. We use them. Kind of like you would a wrench, right? Or a a basketball. But at some point, these are human beings. And these human beings need to be understood. They need to be cared for. Have we got it backwards? I'd love to hear from you. Uh, If you have any ideas on that, uh, text us at Dr. Matt Show. Um, Because uh, really, at some point... We've got to stop seeing other people as just something that we can beat up or throw out or dispose of or build a wall around or ignore and instead start seeing people as, you know, human beings, offspring from a higher power. I, I can only imagine what uh, what our God would think we're like as we just use each other for everything, for jobs, for alike. How interesting, too, that what happens to us when we simply separate ourselves by being able to make an anonymous comment on a YouTube or a Facebook page, how all of a sudden we turn into somebody that we wouldn't be proud of, that we wouldn't want anyone else to know we either talk like that or act like that or respond like that. And then there's those that wouldn't care. And why wouldn't they care that they're demeaning another or pulling another person down? Something's going on there, and it might be, and the Dalai Lama may be onto it. Uh, are we using people? Martin Buber used to talk about this idea of um, uh, he called it "I it" or "I thou," where we have a relationship with people, and the relationship is either going to be "I," which is me, in relation to an it, a thing, or the "I me" in relation to a thou which would be kind of a highly respected uh, other person. So think about your relationships in your life. Do you tend to approach the people around you more like like they are an it, a thing, or do you approach them like that they are a, a thou? Remember, we use the word thou when you're praying to deity, when you're referring to the higher power that is has incredible uh incredible value, incredible worth. I, it, or I, thou. I think it's an important part for all of us to be looking at and, uh, and actually evaluate our lives through that spectrum. Do we, do we affiliate with people that treat others like its and things or like, you know, thous and beings? It's going to eventually come back, I think, to hurt all of us if we're only treating people like its and things. Eventually, we demean and debase the entire human race. So anyway, just a little just a little idea for all of us. What part of the problem are you? What part of the solution can you be? What can you do today to go out and start uh, becoming the change that you seek in this world, as Gandhi taught us? We'll take a break and come back, continue the journey and the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Uh, you know, nothing says life more than a little tech news. And so uh, who better to help us walk through the latest and greatest in the tech world 
than Terry South. Wow. So, Matt. Yeah. You have an Instagram account. I do. And you try to be unique and insightful. Uh, my people that make me do that do. Right. Like, but, my wife is like, well, let's do something on your Instagram today. And I'm like, eh. Really? I'm tired. Here's an idea. Something yeah. you can do. Get okay. your instant followers. All right. Good, good, good. Posing. Yeah. Either in front of uh-huh. or in a private jet. Ooh. Really? How about just like a Delta Airlines jet? Maybe with your cuff pulled no. up and show your uh, Ooh, my, cuff my legs a little bit. Because yeah. the yeah. private jet, that shows status. What if I don't? What if I don't have a jet, but I have a private bus? I could get him not my hands the same. It's you have some be golf carts in your neighborhood. Yeah, I could get a golf cart. So people in Russia are renting out grounded private jets by the hour just to take Instagram photos. Two-hour photo shoot with your own photographer that you bring with you costs just under two hundred fifty bucks for the hour. Wow! Most wow. In, they have in, most Instagram stars have at least one glamorous shot in a private jet. So if you want to be an Instagram star, that's what you need: but private it, jet. But if, if you have a shot near a private jet, but everyone knows it's not your jet. That you live with your mom? Well, people don't know. <laughs> That's the thing. You just go out there and... But they're on Instagram, right? So a lot yeah. of these people on Instagram know you like, Judy, oh, were you cleaning that jet? You're using Instagram wrong. Most people just follow people because it's, oh, you know, totally it's very it frivolous. Yeah. But this it's called Moscow-based private jet studio selling two-hour photo shoots aboard a Gulfstream. It doesn't fly. It just sits there on the tarmac at the airport. But uh, yeah. It gives you that experience. It gives you the effect of being, you know, a big deal without actually being a big deal. Oh, boy. It's a cheaper way. Sometimes that's kind of what I feel like this radio show is. Really? <laughs> it's a way to pretend like you're a big deal without really being a big deal. And the other hmm. one that was funny this week, someone looked at the Kentucky Fried Chicken Twitter account. Notice <laughs> they follow 11 people. There's 11. F- they, they follow 11 Twitter accounts. Well, yeah, like the, the chicken farmer. No. Oh. <laughs> the account follows 11 users. Five of them are former members of the Spice Girls. The other six are men named Herb. Herb. So 11 uh, herbs and spices. Okay. Got it. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's cute. Yeah. Super cute. The uh, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, uh, quarterback Herb Walters, music legend Herb Alpert yeah. are some of those herbs. There's Those are the six herbs. It adds up to 11 herbs. Herbs or herbs, whichever, and, the and spice spices. Girls. Part of the famous secret recipe for KFC's chicken. Um, but yeah, it, they, they put it out there. They didn't say anything. They just left it there, and then finally someone figured it out. And that's people cute. are like, oh, that's kind of a, that's kind of a fun thing so to do. I guess ah, I because I follow I think hundreds of people. What about like herbs? Not one. I don't think I'd have one herb on it. And they found a bunch of verified accounts, so they have some sort of status. Oh, yeah, so these are like legit. They have that these blue check mark. Legit herbs. Legit herbs. I like herbs. Better. Along, well, yeah, along with, you know, Spice Girls. Um, yeah, that's, it, that's cute, I guess. Why couldn't BYU have gotten a private jet when we were doing this recent photo shoot? Well, because, I mean, jets are $200 a shot, I guess. Hmm. Well, how much did that the guy that talked to me for 10 minutes or whatever it was and came up with the worst photo possible to use? Oh, boy. Whoa. Whoa. That seemed, that seemed really angry. I want to see all the photos. I can tell you there's probably five that are better than that. I'm with you. Better I think, in whose eyes? Do people just hate me? Is that what this is? No, no, is this no, no, some no. sort I of. Thought, <laughs> I actually thought I liked that picture of you because it looked better than the it one ca- that the police have. It crops out half my head. Granted, there's a lot of forehead to get in the picture, but still. But, yeah. I thought every picture that was taken of me was better than the one that they chose. But again, I think you're missing the point, you guys. He's the artist. 
Is that what this is? Actually, he didn't select the photos. Who did? In his defense. Was there a committee? I'm sure there was, but he was not a part of it. But you know what? But that committee loved everything. Committee that was there. That's what he told you. But when I went in after you, he's (laughs) like, "That chef is a mess." Um, but everybody knows you too, so maybe they thought that really personified you. You. Nobody knows me. Maybe we ought to post those pictures, and I hate mine totally. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe, maybe we, we ought should to just burn just all them. copies. If we posted them, then everyone could see what we're talking about. Terry and I both went in there and said we worked on the Matt Townsend show, and they're like, "Who? I know what exactly. show? I know there's radio here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but I and don't then know. you walk in, everyone's like, "Hey, Matt, how you yeah. doing? It's because they know me. Yeah. But yeah, they just were playing with you guys." playing with you that's what we're doing with you guys just playing just having a good day we got a lot straight ahead this is the matt townsend show helping you be the good in the world